So, welcome to the first of perhaps one uh, Split Fire Gaming podcasts. Uh, I'm delighted to welcome my first guest, Pride of Place, uh, John. Uh, hello, hello. Thanks for having me on. You're welcome. John is a internet painting superstar to rival the likes of Duncan Rhodes. Um, so you do have your own, well, it's not a channel, is it? It's a Twitch stream. Yes, I sometimes uh, stream on Twitch my painting skills. I have amassed a, a great many followers on there, um, at least 10. It's pretty intense, and uh, I like to paint and just generally chat a lot of shit whilst I do it. That's, uh, <clears throat> I've, I've guested as a, well, just as a guest, uh, he does paint incredibly quickly. Uh, was it? I think the last one I saw was that Berserker, uh, which went from zero to nearly done in 30 minutes. Is he even, even finished? Yeah, he's all done, as is the rest of his uh, squad. So uh, they will make it into my newest crusade list, uh, you know, if we ever get around to playing again. So that'll be circa COVID. 2021, maybe? <laughs> Something like that, yeah. Of course, as this becomes the biggest podcast in the world, and this has been listened to in, I don't know, 2030, uh, at the time we are going through some sort of Gellapox uh, infestation of the world, which will probably be a footnote in history by the time. But anyway... Um, we've been hobby rivals for the early 2000s, I think. So initially it was, was it, I don't know what we played initially. It was, you were Dark Elves and I was Lizardmen. And then I was Tyranids and you were Eldar. Yes. Um, so that would have been about. Uh, it was definitely sixth or seventh, no, sixth edition fantasy, and I don't know what edition 40k. I think it was six for 40k as well, yeah. It was, yeah, it was the older models, but um, and then that's been when did we get back into it? Um, oh, it was like, years ago now. Um, I'm thinking three years ago, but it might be longer than that, might be, yeah. I really got back into I really got back into 40k two years ago, so at least particularly the last two years we've really ramped it up. Yeah, it's uh, it culminated in that two was it two or three days worth of non-stop ninth edition 40k, which I think fused my spine together. But that was worth it. Yes, it was a, a three-day extravaganza where. The first day we played um, small engagements with, uh, I think it was 500 point lists. The second day we had uh, a bunch of, I think it was 1,000 point games. And then on the final day, we all brought 2,500 points and had a, uh, it was in total 10,000 points worth of models on one table in one go, which was uh, pretty intense. Um, there was a lot of dead tyranids at the end of that, I'll tell you. <laughs> a lot of dead everything. Yeah, how many nights did you have at the end? Uh, well, how did I start with? I was to start started with, with six. Started with six, and I think I ended with one or something. I can't. I can't remember. It's uh, I, you have to start taking painkillers halfway through the day because standing and moving stuff doesn't sound like it should hurt, but it really does. It's everything's at that awkward height where it's not quite. <laughs> 
easily accessible from standing position? Well, the idea behind um, Split Fire, it was ages ago, I was speaking to uh, my friend Gavin, who I might get on if this, this works, um, who suggested you needed a quirky title to attract people in. And he said Split Fire because it's a hobby term. But then it's something that you should never do. So maybe that was a sign. But anyway, the original idea was to film battle reports, which I, I bought the camera and assumed that would be enough. But I never actually got around to doing anything. But now that I'm absolutely out of motivation to paint, I thought I would do something different. Um, so we'll see how it goes. So the general concept is, if you've ever seen, what did I rip off from? Uh, Red Letter Media's uh, Star Trek The Next Generation discussions or Desert Island Discs or uh, Plank of the Week from uh, Talk Radio. Uh, the concept's the same. You've got a list of things that you like or dislike um, and then just talk about them. And today's topic is armies that we have played. So... As I hastily made the rules up for this, it is armies that we have played uh, at any point while collecting Games Workshop material. So I haven't decided who is to go first. Do you want to go first or shall I? Or? Um, I'll, I'll let you go first. Man. Okay. Well, number five on my top five lists of armies I've ever played are the Tyranids, which came up before, which uh, I played I think it was about two, yeah, 2004 or something. Uh, I like the Tyranids because they are completely alien. Um, they're totally un not understandable. Uh, they're not motivated by anything that motivates the other factions. Uh, they're just, as far as you understand, turn up, consume everything, and pile on. And the way they strip worlds is absolutely horrific. Um so I like their fluff. Uh, I like their models, although on a downside... They're in, they're in need of some models yeah, at the yeah, moment. They are desperately in need of an update. I think the problem a lot of the times with the Tyranids is uh, that they've been extremely underpowered in previous editions. I, I've, I've played against them, as we were discussing before, Um they do have some good things about them, but they they need a severe rewrite. But it's worth it. If they rewrote the rules and updated the models, uh, I would spend hundreds of pounds on a Tyranid army. Um, you know, Ninth Edition is here, and uh, who knows what's in store for the future for the Tyranids. Well, I happen I think to know that um, the entire executive board of Games Workshop listens to this podcast, so... Please, please update the Tyranids as soon as possible, and I will give you money. They've got it there. It's absolutely in the bank now, isn't it? Well, <laughs> I'm sure I can add to their £40 million profit with my couple of hundred pounds. Um, the, that, that's what's so frustrating about them. The, their fluff is really good, and they are this big threat, and they're fun to play as I remember. They're fun to play against as well, because it's like, uh, what the hell am I going to do about, even if I annihilate those three squads, that squad there, there's still 
70% of the army left and I've got good psychic powers. And as I say, the models, yes, they do need updating. The gaunts need to go. They're, they're so small. Like the Khan effects, this sounding like I don't like them. I do like them. But um, <laughs> the Khan effects is now so small. It's about the size of... Um, like even an armager is bigger than a, a Khan effects. And it's supposed to be this big wrecking ball. But so the, the concept of the Tyranids, as I imagine it, should be massive knight-sized things ripping through uh, the armies and loads of little things swarming around. Like the gene stealers, they don't need re-updating. They're still quite up to date. And, and just like this, whatever I shoot at, it doesn't matter because there's still hordes of stuff coming. That, that sort of panic as an opposing player is um, that's another reason I like the Tyranids. In, in, in my eyes, it's the uh, it's that scene from Starship Troopers where they are defending that little base, and there's just absolutely hordes of these bugs uh, rushing onto them. Right where he looks over the wall, and it's like, yeah, they've stopped them coming over, and he looks over the wall. And it's it's you can't see anything for the uh, <laughs> for the arachnids. Yeah, just this tide of them, and then the enormous ones start popping up, and it's like, okay, cool. Uh, what do we do? Yeah, that that is what if they get. The ninth edition gets the feel like that. I'll buy them. Um, I also like it's it's the fluff in the background. The Imperium doesn't seem to understand that the the, um, the Astronomicon is what they're focused on. So they're trying all these attempts to stop them and break them and divert them, um, but they haven't seemed to click that the the Astronomicon is what they're going for. But they can't. Even if they did, they can't turn it off because then they'd be uh, they wouldn't be able to move. No, the uh, the Imperium of Man would not be able to function as an entity without it. So it's um, they could do a lot. They could do a lot with them. It's um, yeah, because um, the other fluff is is that like what what we've seen of the Tyranids at the moment is basically yeah almost like the scout bits of it. It's not actually the um the main body of the as a whole yet so it's been hinted out isn't it, that it's this is just um yeah like scouting into the uh, the galaxy and seeing what mm. what's there for them to uh, steal um uh, but there's that other theory isn't it that they're, they're actually running from something else behind them so what, if if that's true what is it that they're running from? i don't i'm not sure i believe that one but that's that's quite an interesting one that, 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 that's a hard one to uh to take that one because seems to me that the Tyranids wouldn't instinctively run from anything. No, it's, it's just a uh, conspiracy theory as to what might be behind it. Oh, shoot. I forgot my tinfoil hat. I'll uh, <laughs> dig it out for the next one. That gives you a six plus save under the... I thought it was a six plus 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 feel no pain against uh, logic. <laughs> Join me next week when David Icke will be telling me his, uh, <laughs> his top five Tyranid conspiracy theories. Have you ever fought Tyranid? Well, you have because you fought mine, but not in the new. You, you did. You played. Uh, you played Dean's Tyranids, didn't you? Yeah, I did. I played Dean's Tyranids. Um, it was an extremely small game. Um, there was only five hundred point battle, so it's not truly representative. Um, but they they're fun to they're fun to fight against. It's always satisfying to uh, dump lots of shots into something. Because um, the smaller ones are are very squishy, so it's satisfying to blow those up. But um, the other issue is, is once you start dumping shots into the smaller ones, you're effectively 
wasting your time because it's the big ones that do all the heavy lifting for them. So um, it's a difficult balance to, to strike between them all. That, that's what I find. It's, it's uh, what you call target saturation. I think that's yes. the technical term. Um, if you waste your firepower on a big group of weak units, then the big units, the big things can get through. And if you, it's the old distraction can affects te- uh, tactic. If you point everything at the big monster coming through at you, then it lets the little things just do whatever they want. Especially since it's now objective based, they can just seize all the objectives straight away, and you you're stuck. Yeah, I saw a, um, a Tyranid list that had won a, a competition, and it was very unusual kind of looking one, because it didn't have the usual kind of threats in it with the uh, Exocrine and things like that. It was a whole lot of Gaunts and Warriors, and I believe the adaptations were all about survival, and they were just flooding points and taking them and holding them, and not doing a whole lot of fighting, to be honest. I can see that working because, well, obviously it did work. But the um, if you get a runaway lead at the start, that's pretty unassailable by the end. Um, it's very hard to come back from that, in my experience, as a non-professional, not very good tournament player. The, but the, the objectives kind of work for some armies, they work well for, and again, for others, it's a difficult one. Not for another army, which is on my list, but I'll come to that. Um, Tyranids got absolutely nerfed in between when I did them in sixth and in seventh. They totally nerfed them. It was that Robin Crudus fella. For some reason, everything that worked for the Tyranids just got turned down. So, and then they got they got it again in the edition after. So, if they could show them some love this uh, this time round, that'd be much appreciated because. So I like the concept that the the Imperium is trying to sort all these problems out. It's split in half at the minute, and there's Tau and Eldar screwing stuff up. But also, it's getting massively invaded by the Tyranids, and there's not very much they can do about it. And they're not really fuck. Was it Kripman decided decided to blow up a few planets, which he was wasn't he? He was dismissed for that, or? or Whatever they call it in the uh, Inquisition. Oh, was he excommunicated or something? I think he was. Somebody correct me on that. But um, I'm sure they weren't entirely on board with the idea of blowing up planets in the Tyranid, um, in the the path the Tyranids were going to take in an attempt to stop them. Because then they tried to redivert it to what's that orc planet called? This is why I should have done my research. <laughs> anyway, there's some orc empire that uh, they diverted the Tyranids into with the uh, hope that they would destroy each other. And uh, that didn't work. The, the Tyranids just evolved to um, to overcome the orcs. So they haven't had a great run against the Tyranids, except that oh, useless battle of McCrag. I was about to say they did have uh, they've had a few successes. The, the, the standout one being McCrag. Uh, one of the um, I think it was the six or no, it must have been the seventh edition codex. All these stories in it are about how the Tyranids just get a, a pasting off the Imperium. Like, well, I've bought this book. 
I want to hear how great the Tyranids are. And it's, oh, yeah, then they were all destroyed by the Space Marines turn up and they all get killed. Oh, this is the army I was supposed to be enthusiastic about. And you're just saying how much they get destroyed. Well, most codexes, most codexes are just a, a list of triumphs of the uh, of of the army in question, whereas uh, as as you put there, the um, Tyranids getting a, a pasting of, at the hands of the Space Marines isn't really what really gets you going and and gets the gets the blood pumping ready for you to stick your yeah, so, uh, your lads together. So why why should I play these? But anyway, I, I, I'm being I am being very negative on the Tyranids. I like them and I will collect them, but they just have to. You have to make some new models, new gaunts, make the kind of effects the size of a knight or something, or bring in some... Everything is upscaled now, so they need something huge, like, yeah, something knight-sized that... Because they had that Hyra Titan, but that's... I'm not I'm not doing resin, and that's an old model now as well. Something a bit it's, smaller than that. The Hyra Titan looks terrifying to field. I mean, not in the sense that, oh, it's a big, scary model. It's just... Huge and incredibly spindly, and thought of all that resin on those tiny thin legs. <laughs> oh, that's my skin off, honestly. Yeah, that one of those legs snap, and that's you have to buy a new one, I'd imagine. Yeah. But just something like that, something. Oh, it's a knight-sized tyranid. There's plenty they could come up with. I mean, the it's Morlock like, is a pretty impressive model. That's resin as well. Oh no, it's not. That's the. Um, uh, sorry, that's the Trigon variant, isn't it? Yes. Yeah, the Trigons, they're really good. They're the sort of it popping up behind you, uh, wrecking your army. I like that. It's very Tyranity. So, yeah, I I remember, a lot more stuff like that size would be great. I remember having the very, very old codex of the Tyranids back before they had their new visual update when they had the very old models. Um and I remember in that codex, there was a, a story about um, a, a lictor um, that was alone on a planet. So the, the, the rest of the hives, this particular tendril hadn't come near yet. It was just a lone lictor on this planet. And it was uh, harassing these Katachan lads. Um, and basically, they'd nicked this story straight out of like um, the, the Predator film where like it had been killing them and stringing them up and things like that in a little campaign of terror on its own and i remember as a kid reading that thinking oh that was very cool and then you looked at the original lictor model and you were like maybe not <laughs> is that in its neon color scheme yes yeah. yes yeah it's like... and I, I appreciate they were trying to um, hit the aesthetic that it was some kind of chameleon adaptated monstrosity but the model and the paint job really did not kind of reflect that that much the, the early edition Tyranids are quite, well, they're funny. Really. The Screamer Killer, the old Tyranid Warriors, they're all, well. Odd. Yeah. The, Odd. There, there wasn't like a one kind of um, direction of the of the appearance or aesthetic of the, of the army. It wasn't or, until they sort of ripped off the Alien franchise. Um, yes. Xenomorphs. Yeah, they sort of got it together then and then changed it. Again, slightly. It's, it certainly needs a redo. Uh, but yeah, that's my number five. I've been very negative on them, but I don't mean to be. I really like them. I just need to get them myself sorted. So what is your number five? 
Um, my number five, I've I, I uh I've hastily thrown together a quick list, and um, my number five. That sounds like someone we know. <laughs> <laughs> it's almost like I wasn't prepared for this. Um, my number five. Um, this goes back from when I was um originally playing forty k with yourself. Um, and it would be the Craftworld Eldar. Ugh. Yeah. So. I'm not entirely sure how I got into the Eldar or why I was drawn to them, but I really liked the concept of the Baeltan Swordwind uh, army. So uh, Baeltan is one of the craft worlds of the Eldar. Eldar being the, uh, the almost like space elf race that has been fragmented and almost completely destroyed. So they're floating around on these enormous spaceships called craft worlds. So essentially floating planets of uh, artificial design and the the biotan um were the eldar who were determined to take the eldar back to the previous glories that they had and we're going to do it by force um they they weren't going to they weren't going to mess around like Ulthway with psychic powers or anything like that they were going to they were going to do it by force um and so they had more aspect warriors than any of the other craft worlds and i really liked the concept of having yeah, aspect warriors. I really like them. I thought they're very cool. How each one was um, super specialized in one particular kind of way of fighting. Unfortunately, with the Eldar, and I, I don't want this one to be a, a negative one as well. But um, as time goes on, we're <laughs> getting there. Um, the it was it was pretty apparent that this this is a long time ago as well. So the only plastic kids the Eldar had were jet bikes, falcons and guardians uh everything else was metal this is before the time of resin but um so it was uh it was metal striking scorpions that they were my favorite unit um howling i didn't have the howling banshees i had the drooping hawks and the fire dragons and Truthfully, I could I could never get the army to work for me properly because every unit was so specialized. If it ended up facing anything, it wasn't designed to beat. It was just going to lose in a straight up fight. So I always struggled with them, but I didn't. I did like the appearance of them. How each one had its own distinct kind of color and uh, design. How every single one had had like taken inspiration from something to do with the aspect that it was following so i really like that i really like that um it was it was difficult because at the time everyone i played against was playing like space marines and they would just you know ruin everything because space marines are, are pretty good at, at, at doing that but i i always enjoyed the the elder um and it was when i first started really getting into actually painting my models so previously everything had just been like a tide of grey plastic with the odd one or two painted. But with my Eldar, I actually painted the whole lot of them. So you know, it's quite satisfying putting them all down. As as terrible as they were back then, when I think back at what they actually looked like. Um, but yes, they, uh, it was very satisfying putting them down the table and having a, a painted army. I was reading some article that said um, the some of the Eldar models are the same ones that they had in second edition, and I think the Howling Banshees is one of them. So that uh, they haven't updated the sculpts for that long, which probably 
that's it could be taken either way. It's that they're that good that they don't need changing. Um, it's the it's the sweeping hawks. I think the banshees had the um, had an update in the uh, blood of the phoenix, so they've got a new plastic model. See if I'd researched anything, uh, that w- I would have known that and would have said that. But yes, it's the swooping hawks, and specifically the wings of the swooping hawks, not the body, but the wings. Right, are from second edition as. Are all of the special character Phoenix Lords? They're all from Second Edition. Yes, that's right. That's um, why they all have that very flat monopose look to them. It's, uh... Isn't the Avatar another ancient model? Yep the the Avatar the Avatar suffers from what the original Nagash model had, which was um, <laughs> it's a big lump with a silly hat. You know, <laughs> I have no nothing said against the original Nagash model. It's uh, it's amazing. Oh. I'm I'm not here to, uh, to to hate. I'm really not. I like it. I love it. especially the original. I know we we talk about it's supposed to be talking about Eldar, but that that Nagash model is uh, is absolutely iconic. I love it. Uh, the uh, the Avatar again, like I was saying with the Turnids, that suffered from every time they need some sort of they need a, a model or a character to seem great, they'll just beat up an Avatar in the fluff, which is uh, annoying. Yeah. Yeah, the av- Avatar Arcane is supposed to be the uh, the equivalent of like a bloodthirster. It's supposed to be uh, unmatched hand-to-hand warrior made of molten iron. It used to have special rules where melter and flame weapons just didn't do anything to it. Um, and it's supposed to be hard as nails. Um, but exactly as you said, um, if you if you want to prove how tough a character is, you'll just write a story about it beating up an Avatar Arcane. Um they do the same thing in the Marvel Universe where they want to show off how bad a bad guy is. They'll just have him beat up Thanos real quick. So. It's the uh, it's the wolf effect, isn't it? On the next yes. generation. Yes, exactly. Yeah. They'll beat show, you up in a fight. Uh, if you want to show someone means business or he's a threat, he beats up Mr. Wolf. Poor Mr. Wolf. He's not kind soul, really. Yeah. Just better in DS9. I, I've played Eldar in 8th edition against them, and they are extremely annoying. They don't have it now because it's they used to be able to layer uh, negative hit modifiers and all sorts on their flyers, and their flyers didn't obey the rules. Um, and they could do their own thing, and they had all their psychic powers of like, what is it? Uh, Doom and Jinx. Doom, yeah, and Jinx. That's, that's horrible. There's no real... You just got to put up with it, really. But it's they, they yeah, were so really good in eighth. Doom and Jinx are still are still a thing. They haven't changed those. The, the big changes for ninth edition is, as you said there, the the reduction of the stacking of hit modifiers. So you can no longer make anything worse than a minus one to hit. Whereas back then, you, a lot of competitive Eldar lists fielding uh, flyers, just nonstop flyers. Um, who have a negative two to hit before they do anything else. So um, they're extremely durable in the sense that you have to chuck an awful lot of shots at anything just to even hit it. Um, the flyers aren't, beyond beyond the negative modifiers, they aren't particularly tough. I think they were toughness six or something like that. So um, even small arms would have like half a chance of doing something to it. It's just actually scoring the hits was a massive issue. Um, that's now gone. So, as a result, um, the the Eldar Flying Circus, I think it was called, um, is no longer really seen. Um, 
And I know, I know one 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 of my friends personally. He uh, he's not sad about it, but he also owns three flyers, um, and he says he's just never ever going to be able to use them properly now. So, um, I, I have but, limited sympathy for. Uh, not that I'm saying your friend is that for um, power gamer style complaints. It's, just deal with it. Yeah. <laughs> Come up with another list. Yeah, use, well, use he, them casually. He, he, yeah, he said he'd he'd use them in a casual casual list. No, but uh, he he's not he's not of the the power gaming type. Um, oh, that's all right. Yeah, but uh, he's um he's been having he's been fielding his Eldar list recently, um, and he's been having mixed success with it because ninth edition hasn't been kind to the objective based. And the Eldar being not very tough, so um, especially with the way you score the objectives, is you hold it at the end of the battle round. So, or is it the start of your turn? You score your points. The start remember. of your turn. You, That's but, right. Yeah. So if, you need to. There's a. I can. I can rant about the the new objective system, um, but I'll not. I'll save that for another episode. But okay. yes, you. Um, but yeah, he's uh, he's suffering a bit with the sense that the Eldar they've got plenty of units or plenty of um, kind of options to push people off objectives, but um, to then sit on it and hold that objective for like a turn is difficult. Um, since your average Eldar warrior, as soon as you start firing anything at them, regardless of how strong or powerful the, 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 the fire is, they start falling over pretty quickly. So. Well, they are space elves, you know. They're supposed to be. I mean, they are space elves. They are space elves. Um, so, interesting one. Um, the other thing, again, we get similar kind of thing with what you mentioned earlier with the Tyranids. The elves are in desperate need of an update, in particular <laughs> their aspect warriors, things like the warp spiders, the fire dragons, the striking scorpions, the shining spears, swooping hawks. They all need. Models. Um, they're all still working on fine cast. Uh, what a horrible concept that is. Um, awful. I'd prefer it if they just kept to the metal models. But uh, but I don't play Elder anymore these days, so I'm not uh, I'm not going to be overly triggered by that. What, what do you think about their fluff then? The whole dying race thing. I think it's interesting because um, I, I really. It's it's very different to Warhammer Fantasy in the, the, the way that the Chaos Pantheon came about because in 40k, Slanesh was born as a direct result of the Eldar race. Yeah, they're all massive pervs, aren't they? That's how they, their entire empire yes. collapsed. So while I wasn't a massive fan of like, oh, hey, I want to play the Eldar because they are a bunch of you know, um, sexual deviants, um, it's... Uh, I, I, it's it's a I, I like that the the race is fragmented. So you've got the the dark Eldar and you've got the craft world Eldar. So the craft world Eldar are the ones who kind of saw it coming almost and decided to build their own Noah's Ark, for lack of a better term. And um, and then when the shit hit the fan, they were they were off. They were like, "Oh, see you all later. Uh, I'm in my boat." So, but it it is interesting. They did take a lot of parallels straight from um, the fantasy side of it. 
They sort of ramped it up to 11, though, is it? Because elves in fantasy are, yeah, they're dying, but there's only about, what, I don't know, a couple of million Eldar left, if that, in, in a galaxy for... of How many humans are there? Trillions? Uh, un- uncounted. Uh, uh, even even the Imperial Man doesn't know how many planets it actually governs at this point. So, and that's with them losing planets all the time as well. They're all supposed to be uh, they're, they're sneaky manipulators, aren't they, Eldar? Because they can't yes. really deploy their entire... The... Even if they did deploy their entire armed forces at one go, it wouldn't be that much. No, they, they, they don't really go for the, the, the massive engagements. Um, so... It is it is difficult, like lore wise or fluff wise, to, to justify like fielding ten thousand points for the Eldar in a battle because you'd have to like be like, oh, this is an unbelievable like. <laughs> this uh, is stand. the race. yeah. This is it. Yeah, this is this is their entire like armed force for this one particular kind of craft world or whatever. Because, and why would they be fighting that way? You'd have to come up with some kind of narrative that they're desperately trying to either protect something or prevent something. Um, as as you mentioned just before the Eldar are incredibly powerful psychic race as well so they use their warlocks and farseers to look into the future and plot out the best course for for themselves and in doing so um, we'll av- actively avoid conflict uh, and will actively um, provoke others to basically have proxy wars for them they'll they'll like guide orcs into the way I think it was uh, the Eldar who guided the orcs into Armageddon um, in order to save like one of their ships, um, and as a result, they started this unbelievable war on an Imperium planet. It's usually something totally out of balance, isn't it? Like to save one Eldar life, they'll they'll make it so the whole planet gets invaded, and they're, they're not particularly bothered about anyone other than their own race. No, no, they they um, well. As, as with everything in 40k, everybody is absolutely horrible to everybody else all the time. So they they see ev- anyone anyone's life who isn't part of the Eldar species as essentially worthless. So they they don't they, they're not losing any sleep over that one. Just to go back to what you said about deploying the entire craft world and how you would justify that law of the game, I don't think we should pull that thread because you should never really see a space marine on a battlefield because they're so rare that they would they wouldn't you wouldn't have an entire army of them turning up all the time with the primarch to to fight a thousand point battle or the, no, the Christ- you're quite right the Christians right. wouldn't turn out to like a border skirmish that it, it's uh, no, you are quite right um obviously these things would, would would in in reality never happen so maybe maybe i should uh maybe i should drop that one well, it's it's fair to bring it up, but there's a lot of other races and factions who've got the same problem, who they would just hand wave that. Oh yeah, Space Marines turn up to fight this uh, gene stealer cult infestation of of twenty models. Yeah, send the Space Marines. You should never. <laughs> I've had this this discussion before. You, you should never see. How many are there? There's only what half a million. I don't know. It's supposed to be a thousand chapters. Thousand chapters of a thousand, so a million. So in a in a galaxy, in the entire galaxy, and trillions of humans, and the Imperial Guard's got what billions of members, and you've got a million Space Marines too. So you should never see them, but then they would never sell any models. So 
But most uh, most most Imperial citizens have never seen a Space Marine. They've heard of them, but they've never seen a Space Marine. Um, but equally, if if Space Marines on the tabletop were in equivalent to their power as they are in the books, then um, you'd see five Space Marines take on like a thousand point army. That's more. That is a custodian list, though. If you've seen them, yeah, yes. five, five models. Yeah, five models. Um, custodians, another one of mine. I'm not a big fan of them. Uh, well, I, I like them, but just they're outrageous. Yeah, but we we talk. We'll get back onto uh, onto subject. Um, oh yeah, sorry. Yeah, yeah. There's one. There's there's one. Uh, there's one story of the Eldar I quite like, and it's regarding the craft world of. I never say their names properly, so I do apologize. Of Iandan, the um, so the the craft world gets ones? yes. So the craft world is essentially dead at this point. There's very few living Eldar left on it. So they have a lot of the ghost constructs, being the um, the wraith guard, wraith lords, and things like that. And um, that's how they they still operate. So the craft world itself came under attack by the Tyranid swarm. Um. I forgot to mention that. Actually. Yeah. Yeah, so the they held a big meeting. The, all the uh, the big uh, high powered Eldar guys. They were like, "Oh, so what are we going to do?" And they went through all the different kind of options available to them. And they ended up deciding to make a stand and fight for the craft world because the craft world's not just the the people who live on it. Because the Eldar are doomed. To lose their soul to Slanesh at the end of the, when they die, they 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 hold their soul within a soul stone. They all wear a soul stone, so when they die, their soul goes to that, and then the soul stone is then transferred to their craft world, and it joins. I think it's called the Infinity Circuit inside there. Is that right? Yeah, I'm not that's, sure. that's to stop them going to Slanesh, isn't that's it? That's it. That's right. So the the um, the craft the, the craft world came to a decision. That the souls of the Eldar and the lives of those still living on it were deemed too precious to just give up to this um, this swarm of Tyranids, because the Tyranids don't care about anyone's immortal soul or the rest of it. They just want the biomass. So they they stood and they fought. They did repel the uh, Tyranids at the end of the day, but the cost was absolutely catastrophic. The Rough world of Iandan is essentially dead. There's so few Eldar still on there. Um, so, yeah, that's. Uh, but I really jo- enjoyed that one. Um, they even have one of the Phoenix Lords that in the meeting, and apparently he doesn't say a word through the whole time, except for when they come to the decision to fight, and he just simply nods his head and off he goes. So, it's famously taciturn, the Phoenix Lords. Yes. Um, there's a great game of that um, whole thing, which I can't remember the name of, but I have played. Um, it's from like the early '90s or something. It's all it's just the map of the craft world, and you play either the Tyranids or the Eldar. Um, I played the Tyranids. I think I won. Oh, is that, that one of these hexagon ones? Um, it's similar. It's like the craft world's divided up into sections, and the the Tyranids get constantly reinforced and. They've got to take sections and what's it called? It's called something like the Fall of the Eldar. Okay. Javanel, no, it's great. It's um, but yeah, that's that's the the historical 
uh, event you're talking about there was made into a game. Yeah, Have you yeah. seen the old um, Battle for Armageddon? It's the same kind yeah. of thing. Oh, okay. Same okay. Kind of, uh, I think it was the same era. There's an there's another um, story, and um, I can't remember the the name of it, but it's again it's the um, pyramids up against the Eldar on a craft world. But this craft world was uh, was destroyed in this battle, and um, I believe. Hang on, I'm getting my, my my story mixed up here. There was a big battle between the Tyranids and the Eldar. See, neither of us did any research for this. Yeah, that's terrible. The a, a zone throw snuck onto the craft world. Oh, this is uh, Malantai talking about. That's the one. Yeah, so he um he snuck on and they weren't aware of it, and it managed to get into the Infinity Circuit, and it sucked up all of this immense psychic power. So this psychic powered Tyranid got even more psychic power and it ended up um, becoming so powerful it destroyed the entire craft world if I'm they used to have used to have rules for uh, the doom of Malantai, uh zoanthrope um yes um, and he's it, actually still a special character i believe uh, i think they took him out oh really i thought i thought yeah. he still had rules or was he one of these legends i think he, it could be a legend they took him out because it was another thing where they nerfed the tyranids that they'd taken the doom of malantai out because he was really good it was he had some effect where everyone in a in a range around him at a roll or die essentially it was something like that oh wow uh, okay was, that, that's a bit much it was i forget his rules um uh, what they're called mini wargaming the Matt from there, he used to use them all the time. Um, oh, it's it's just a cool little story. Um, I like. He did have rules. Well, uh, I'll I'll wrap it up there for for the base yeah. elves for now. Well, my next one is the Tomb Kings from Warhammer Fantasy Battle. Um, they have got great fluff. Uh, they are such a well executed theme. Um. And it's sort of a well, it is a tragic story what happens to them, but that they they sort of half bounce back. Uh, and I also like Setra the Imperishable is one of the greatest characters in well in in either fantasy or forty k. He's a, such a he's such an arrogant bastard, but everything he does gets results. So it's it's another of those things where it's like yeah, he's. He, He's brutal, he conquers the lands and all that, but he makes his country a great place. And he um, his subjects love him for it, but also are terrified of him. And um, it's I know it's just ripped off Egypt, and it's the mummy and stuff like that, but that split, when they split the undead up in, was it fifth? Yes. And it's like, oh yeah, it's just to sell more models, and it probably was. But what they did with the Tomb Kings, I think, is is fantastic. It's uh, ancient Egypt's big construct creatures like the Shabtis, uh, bone giants. The the sad thing about the Tomb Kings is, although they're one of the first um, eighth edition fantasy releases, they didn't get enough models again, like the Tyranids, uh, before fantasy was imploded. So the updated models look really good, like the the Tomb Guard, they're really good. Um, yeah, they're the up-to-date Tomb Kings are, are good, and but you're still gluing them together. Well, 
sticking the army together with the old, I think, sixth edition skeleton warriors with their chunky hands and stuff like that. So it doesn't really mesh. But the law of like, they're the first human civilization. So they predate the empire. They've got their own magic. And then they split into the different areas, different kingdoms. Setra conquers them all. Um, Kemri is the chief city. And then it all ends with um, Nagash being, because it's in the tradition, the firstborn son is dedicated to the gods. So he becomes a priest. And then the secondborn son becomes the ruler. So his uh, jealousy over that. Um, learning necro well, inventing necromancy after from some kidnapped dark elves, and then just destroying the entire area in some sort of mad vengeance quest to uh, rule it. And then it, that whole plot line with uh, Al Kadazar gets—he's the the king who gets to who beats him, and then he gets beaten and kid and captured, and then the Skaven in their one selfless act which is well it's to their benefit as well i suppose give him the fell blade and he kills nagash and that's the the awakening of the dead um brings back all the kemrian citizens as skeletons um it's never really clear whether they're sentient or not i, I think they are or to a bit because they go back to doing farming and doing uh whatever it was they were doing before they were killed I think uh, I think it's a it's a great story of the, of the about their their rise and how they got to be where they are and then the the massive betrayal of of Nagash which then powers such a large amount of the story behind uh, Warhammer Fantasy uh, Nagash you know in many different areas um, a lot of different influence there um, um, and yeah so that that initial betrayal from him and what he did. Changing everything about them, and then about to becoming the Tomb Kings, uh, really, really interesting stuff. And they do have some iconic models as well. I really like the Screaming Skull catapult as a uh, as a concept. I think that's a. I, th I can't remember which city that was that was invented. That I think it might have been Zandri. But anyway, yeah. the fluff. Yeah, uh, I mean the Bone Giant looked quite goofy, didn't they, with his hat on? And I think he was he was resin as well. He was a right pain. Um, the um, well, he he would have started off as a as a metal model. Yeah, he was metal initially, but and the uh, the casket of souls, which is obviously a direct rip off of um, Raiders of the Lost Ark. But that that used to be it hit everything it could see uh, in the sixth edition because they used to they had a they had their own unique magic system in sixth where it was. You had to write out the hierarchy, um, and you started with the lower ranked mages, uh, well, leash priests, and then they had to go in specific order casting, and then it went to the hierophant who kept the army moving. He, his magic motivated the army, and then at some, I don't know, if it was the very end. You then went to the casket of souls, and. Um, if that went off, everything that could see it got hit by, I forget what it was. It was probably one of those leadership tests or die things. So that was that they scrapped that for the, for the eighth edition magic system. It just went to magic cards. You cast it as normal, which probably worked better um, because the, 
I think they could only be they could only cast one or two powers. The, le- the leash priest could only cast one, and the high priest could only cast two. So they were quite underpowered, but it was relentless, and they could you could get them to move. And if you move them into combat, then that counted as a charge, which you can't do in the eighth edition. No, no magic moves do not count as a charge, unfortunately. No, but uh, if you've seen them in um, uh, Warhammer Total War, there's such a it's DLC as well. They're so well executed. Yes. Um, I've got a campaign of uh, Warhammer Total War 2 at the moment um, where I, I am playing as the, the Lizard Men and my friend is playing as the Doom Kings and uh, frequently we, uh, you know, you can do the battles together. So one of you controls set amount of units, the other one controls the units. Um, the, they're a lot of fun to use um, in the battles and the Casket of Souls is hilarious in the battles. <laughs> I think dumpsters thing. That's just what could what could have been in the if fantasy hadn't been brutally assassinated. Uh, but I, like set, set, I know at the end times, uh, I'm not a fan. But Setra in the end times, he essentially tells the um, chaos gods to go fuck themselves. <laughs> so that's just him all over, really. Yeah, Setra does not serve. Yeah, and I like that in that thing of the. Have you seen that meme with the uh, skeleton saluting? And he's listening to all of Setra's titles. Oh, is, yeah, because he's got the most ridiculous set of titles. It? It's got like a page full of titles. So that's, that's him. I, I like that because it's, oh, yeah, he's he's a tyrant and he's killed a lot of people and he's, con- he's a conqueror, but he is actually a good ruler. The, like the, the country is objectively better off for having him, but he is brutal. So I like that sort of moral grey area that's that's all over fantasy, really. He's uh, he's got a great model as well, etc. Oh, he's chariot. Yeah, he's triple horse quadruple. Quadruple horse. Quadruple. Oh yes. Do apologise. He is a king. Oh, he's the that's king. A lot, that's a lot of horses. Not a, a lot king. of horses. The king. Um, I've had no success with the Tomb Kings playing them. I do have about two thousand points of them. Oh, uh, the Necrosphinx, that's an amazing model as well. Just going on to the newer models versus the older models. Uh, I have, I think, racked up all losses apart from one draw. They are so underpowered in fantasy. I don't know who wrote the book, but they obviously hated them. They they can't even, like undead uh, vampires, they can march if they're within 12 inches of their general. They they can't even do that with... um, Tomb Kings, they just will not move. They've got a four-inch move. My understanding is the uh, the Tomb Kings book itself isn't actually an 8th edition book. It's a 7th edition reprint. Well, I think it was one of the first ones they released in 8th, so that could be... That would make sense. Okay. Because I know in 8th edition that neither the Skaven nor the Bretonians got a book at no, all. No, the Skaven... Um, book is the seventh edition book, which is why it's so ludicrously overpowered. Yes, it's not balanced whatsoever, and they didn't fix it with the FAQ <laughs> as, uh, <laughs> as they frequently don't. No FAQs are, uh, but even big, like the this is a tangent, but the Skaven magic don't doesn't have um, a category, it's not a hex, it's not an augment, it's not a magic missile, so there are no limits on how it can be cast. 
which is insane. You can cast it in a combat and all sorts. Uh, yeah, that Skaven magic is very good, very powerful. If it was in eighth edition, um, I think there'll be quite a few changes done to it. But we shall never know. No, we shall never know now. Never know that. So that's the Tomb Kings. Not so much for their battle-winning prowess, but for their background and their models. Okay, well, um, we're going on to... I'll, I'll pick a, a Warhammer Fantasy army in that sense then. Uh, I'll go on to the Dark Elves. Um, so, many years ago, I think it was uh, 2007-ish, I think that's when uh, me and yourself had a big rivalry between my Dark Elves and your Lizards. Yes, it was. It was uh, That went all over the place. That went to Nottingham a few times. We even attended a tournament at one point, I believe. Oh, that talk, don't start me about no, that. Talk. We'll not mention that, but we 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 did go tournament playing. Basically, um, what, anyone who doesn't measure properly and um, piles up skinks in a big pile and just says they're moving a set amount of things, set amount of distance without actually measuring it or putting them in any sort of order or lined up or anything, they should be imprisoned. That that's my opinion. <laughs> They're 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 up there with the shaggers. Um, <laughs> we might have to so, do that. <laughs> <laughs> and yes, so um, I used to play Dark Elves back in. I think that was was that sixth edition fantasy. Yes, yes. I've still got that so, rule actually. Uh, I'm sure mine is um, floating around my parents' loft at this point, um, powered by dark magic. <laughs> so I really like the the Dark Elves. Um, I still do. Um, the new models for the Dark Elves are absolutely incredible. Um, but back then... By new, we mean 2010. Well, yes. So, um, I used to really like the... What, what really brought me to the Dark Elves was um, dragons, cold ones, and, uh, and just spiky kind of things. So they have lots of spikes on all their armor and things like that. That's the kind of that's the kind of aesthetic I like. It's kind of cool. Um, and the dark elves were the the lore behind them was really good as well. It was this. Um, I mean, you'll know more about it than I will at this point with being a uh, avid high elf player. Um, but with the dark elves, it was Malekith who was the actual true heir to the throne. But Wrong. okay. But he was um, he was cast out, and as a result, fled with his lads to Nagaroth. You uh, missed the bit Malachith. where he poisons the actual Phoenix King. I mean, there was and murders the uh, the uh, High Council. I mean, just a moment ago, you were you were praising a great brutal tyrant. So, you know. <laughs> Yeah, but Setra was picking and choosing our brutal tyrants. Setra was in the interests of his nation. Oh yeah, absolutely. Malkith was nothing but for himself. Like he is very in it for himself, and he's got a very unhealthy relationship with his mother as well. well which... Yes, but they they removed that in eighth. They, they, oh, did they? Yeah, they in the fourth edition book. I've got it, and it's it says outright. It's rumored that he's now um, his mother's now his lover. It yeah. says that, and then it's and then they just I don't know why they just take it out in eighth edition. Maybe they were aiming for a more family-friendly audience, but 
<laughs> maybe maybe it was one of those things that was just a bit too risky. Like you know, your your twelve year old kid picks up the the dark elf book and starts reading about how like the, their greatest uh, leader and warrior is actually you know in a, uh, a relationship with his own mother, and it's like, oh okay. So uh, I, I still think it's the case. Uh, I also think it's the case. But there's like historic pre- precedent for that kind of thing as well. So I can see why they originally wrote it in there. Um, but obviously the, the Dark Elves, they live in Nagaroth, which is a, a, the northern part of the New World. It's Canada, isn't it? It's uh, fantasy it's Canada. Like, yeah, it's fantasy Canada, but it's um, it's not very nice. It's uh, it's the, the northern border shares uh, the border with the Chaos Wastes, so they have a set of watchtowers, incredibly fortified watchtowers all across that that uh, section, where fight off the war bands that show up every now and then. You don't really hear too much about those. Those um, they're more interested in heading towards the Empire. But then you've got the the great cities of uh, of the Dark Elves as well. So. Uh, Nagarond being the capital city, then you've got like Hagraif, the execution. What's the port one? Is it? They mix Grond. them. They split them up. Uh, they mix them up in one. The, the one that's the port gets swapped with another one um, for some reason in the eighth edition book. Then they also were uh, great pirates. Are the Dark Elves? Um, got great navy. Um, and their own dark arcs, which are essentially floating citadels um, powered by magic. And there's like gribbly beasts underneath um, that push them along. And, uh... Yeah, when, the, uh, when he tried to undo the vortex that was draining all the magic out of the world and ensuring that chaos didn't consume it all, because that seems like a logical idea. Uh, he didn't manage to succeed, but his efforts caused the northern bit of uh, went to sink and they protected the Dark Elves sorcerers protected their uh, castles with some sort of enchantment so there's a huge chunks of broken land that are now sailing around capturing slaves and things yes um, Dark Elf society is very much driven by slave labour um, they're very Similar to uh, what we mentioned before in 40k with the Eldar, very hedonistic, very cruel and uh, petty. So they uh, they have a structure where nobles rule over the cities, but there's a constant stream of backstabbing and uh, subterfuge going on. So um, this is one of the things where the the fluff doesn't really make sense because there's not many high elves. And so logically, there should be even fewer dark elves, and they're always stabbing each other and betraying each other and killing each other and stuff. And they're always at war, and they're always out raiding. So, what is the population pool of the dark elves, and how is it maintained? Again, it it doesn't make sense. Uh, I read one one set article. Um, it's an official Games Workshop one ages ago, saying that there was their population was actually growing. Makes no sense at all, especially when you have like, for instance, the um, it's called it's called Murder Night or something like that, oh, where Death Night, something like that, where they let all the witch elves out and they just run up and down the streets. And if you're unfortunate enough just to be out getting your groceries that night, you get you get stabbed to death. 
I think like, they, they changed. They must have uh, realized that, that was ludicrous because it used to be like a week um, in the earlier stuff, and then they just changed it to a day or a night. I mean, they they, they literally have the purge once a year and they just run around like idiots and kill each other. And um, it's, so the concept they do be able to like have a a functioning society with um, you know enough people to pull together to then even make an army. I mean, fielding a whole army full of people who are watching their backs constantly to see if their uh, comrades are going to stab them any moment is weird. But on the tabletop, I did like how the Dark Elves played. So you had you had things like your Reaper bolt throwers, which were um, reliable artillery. You had your spearmen and crossbowmen. Um, Dark Elves had the unique repeater crossbows, so while not high strength, they would um, turn out a lot of shots. Always, multiple, always do multiple shot. Yes, apparently the always. math. I don't do the math hammer, but apparently you should always do multiple shot. Uh, yeah, you always you always do the multiple shot because um, it's minus one to hit when you do multiple shots, but you shoot twice, so that that um, penalty is overcome immediately. I also like the cold one knights, the heavy shock cavalry. Giant lizards. Yes, giant lizards. There's something um, I didn't understand. The Dark Elves called them cold ones because that's just their name for them when they found them. Why do the lizard men call them cold ones? Because um, because everyone called them cold ones already? I don't know. Um, you would think they would have a different name for them, but it's the idea is, is that they share that same, because they same part of the world, uh, world that they, uh, I guess, just kept the one, one name for them. But uh, you're quite right. You would expect the lizard men to who have been here longer to have their own name for them. So, so just write that into Games Workshop HQ, and I'm sure they'll get an answer for that one quite quickly. Yeah, yeah. They're supposed so to be a different type. Pages. Yeah. They're supposed to be a different type, though, aren't they? They're supposed to be slight because the um, they went from the raptor type to the big, like the cowled ones, weren't they? Because they're big. Um, they're well, they had the heads from uh, the original. Well, I say the original that Godzilla film. Yeah, uh, they had the yeah, same head right. from Godzilla. Um, yeah. I really like them. I yeah, think even though people said they look like cows, I really like those ones. They're they the ones great. I remember the most. And yeah, then, they're the ones I had. Then they went back to the lizard man. Anyway, went back to sort of raptor ones, but they had big, like gangling hands, and it didn't really make any sense. That's their current ones. Yeah. Um, I have a unit of uh, cold one knights. Uh, that is the lizard men ones, and they use those models, and they are not good. No, no definitely and the older ones. They have the so the dark elves have the newer, and like you quite correctly pointed out, like two thousand and ten new. Um, Cold One Nights, and they they look more um, they look more kind of uh, dragonish without the wings. Obviously, they've got like um, the long heads um, and uh, tails and things like that. They look really good. The re- the new ones look absolutely stunning. Um, however, they do not rank up very well. I've been told. I've got a friend who plays Dark Elves, and they do not rank up. It's a common problem with uh, eighth stuff. Yes, uh, ranking is always difficult. I have a 
few units who uh, are awkward to rank up. You end up putting numbers under the bottom of the bases to work out. That is dedication. Just yeah. wedge them in. But with the Dark Elves, I enjoyed the Dark Magic. I thought the Dark Magic was an interesting lore, uh, especially when you're able to drop Arisnopal's Black Horror on something. Um, that, that spell is absolutely horrific. Um, That's the, uh, strength test or die, isn't it? Vortex. It's either strength or toughness test. I can't remember which one it is, but yeah. It is a take a test or die one. And it's the it's the big big plate. So that one is uh, rough. So um, yeah, everybody says those spells are overpowered in eighth edition. I disagree. <laughs> I'm not gonna justify why. Oh, okay. I mean the Vortex ones are they're very random. It's the ones where it hits the entire unit regardless, like the pit of shades, and then that one's uh that That's one's it. rough. Initiative test or die. That is, yeah. Um, and then, also with the Dark Elves, I used to always, whenever I could, I used to always try and field a dragon. Um, dragons back then were um, pretty good. Uh, you could use the Breath Weapon in combat, and uh, the Dark Elf Black Dragon it had a, uh, Noxious Breath. It didn't have Fire Breath, it had Noxious Breath. And, uh, I think it wasn't a particularly high strength. I think it was strength Two or three, but didn't allow for armor saves. So whatever did wound would go through. So that was pretty good. I think that's still in it. Um, yeah, I don't know. I've, I played against Dark Elves at the I think it's the second or third tournament I did back in. I think it was last year down in Worcester, and that was a great. It didn't have a. It didn't have a dragon, but that was a great battle. That was. Um, he had the Cauldron of Blood. With a horde of witch elves and um, dark riders, which are probably the best fast cavalry in the game, and uh, he had a lot of sorceresses, and that was that was a lot of fun. That was a grudge match. That was a bloodbath, huh? Uh, it was basically we didn't want because I had a unit of white lions uh, with a lariel, and he had a unit of uh, witch elves with the the cauldron and it was like almost like a standoff like we don't want to hit one with the other because the casualty is going to be enormous uh, so it's probably not worth going to combat so they didn't actually do much against each other so it was sort of like a dance at the end but oh, i see i see yeah um your your white lion unit is uh terrifying to behold well if i've had them mashed up quite badly if you by uh, hammerers, so it doesn't always work. It's another power gamer. I know I, I slated power gamers before, but that is quite a power gamer thing to do. Anyway, we're, we're off topic now. Yeah, we are. But yes, um, I'll, I'll wrap it up there with the Dark Elves. They, they've got a lot, like, like I say, I played them back in, in 6, so I didn't really get into them in, in 8th edition at all. I, I did consider it at one point. I was going to invest, but a lot of people in my gaming circle in London were playing elves at the time, and I thought, the elf player. So uh, I knocked that one ahead. So, But yeah, um, very cool army. Really cool lore. There's so much lore behind the Dark Elves and the High Elves together. Um, we could go on for about it for a long time, but we'll move on to your number three. My number three is the Adeptus Mechanicus. 
So the, the Adeptus Mechanicus rule Mars as a sort of a, almost a, well, they are a cult of technology who've sort of blended religious rites with uh, maintaining machinery. And they're, they're half of the Imperium. So they, they run the Forge Worlds. They provide the, the armor, the weapons, and it's I, I like the admit because it depend depending on your point of view is depending on on what you think they're actually doing. It's perfectly justifiable to say they don't really know what they're doing. They're just um, reading from equivalents of hymn sheets and rituals. They don't know what the rituals do. They don't know what their um, uh, what they're designed for they just know if they do that and they believe in it then this system will work or this thing will be built the other way you can look at it is like when they're doing machine uh chants and things like that they're chanting the instruction manual so they're just reminding themselves how how they're supposed to repair something or how they're supposed to deal with something and there's no real right answer for it so it's like the thing that I'm noticing appeals to me on all of these sides is that again that gray area. The ad maker either they they don't they they're like uh, religious hermits who can't evolve or do anything. They just they're doing things and they don't know why. Or they're actually they do know what's going on and just their way of their way of doing things just looks like religious observance from the outside. And they do believe in the machine god and the um the motive force and things like that. So they do have a religion based around it, but it, what they're doing is also logical. And once you explain it, it does make sense why they're doing it. So I like their fluff. Um, not sure about the, the, cause this is probably going to come into it soon. The, um, the void dragon. No, the is, old void dragon. Yeah. Uh, which is supposed to be a, a Kitan shard that's um, buried under Mars, and that's been influencing the direction of Mars from uh, from the start. Um, however, the counter argument that is, if that's real, then the Emperor, when he defeated the Void Dragon, did that on purpose to start the Cult Mechanicus to get them to maintain the um, technology and, and uh, things like that. So it's all up in the the admit it's all up in the air. And the models are, are fantastic. The Tech Priest Dominus model is one of my favorite models. Um, just the whole body horror look of it. The, you know, he doesn't have, he's got spindly legs, he's got all these tendrils coming out, and, and he's Pope's hat. The hats are great. Yeah. There's a, there's a definite theme. We like the model. <laughs> the Gash, Tech Priest Dominus. Uh, what do you call him? Malachus got a hat yeah. as well. He's got a very silly hat. So, so that's the the fluff side of it. It's really great, and the I like how it's in, in the original Treaty of Mars. It's like the Emperor and um, I think it's the Martian Parliament at the time. They they realize that they can't go to war to, with each other to conquer each other because it it'll annihilate each other, and the Emperor doesn't believe in religion or anything like that. So they just sort of, they sort of fudge it. They just say, you're part of the Imperium, but you can do your own thing. 
and we accept and they're saying well we don't you know we worship the machine god and the they latch onto this thing of the Omnissiah being the machine god's avatar so they just said oh yeah the emperor's the the Omnissiah now everyone's happy so it's like it's such a fudged compromise but it works then yeah it was when he uh reunificated what um terra the emperor so he took terra and it was at that point he took to mars and uh obviously the adeptus mechanicus was uh, it's the yeah, it's the cult mechanicus at the time. it's not an adeptus sorry the cult mechanicus so i do apologize yeah but the because it was the it was mars was one of the few planets during the age of strife that um that actually prospered and did well. Um, yeah, Mars, reco- whereas- Mars recovered. It went into a massive um, civil, well, not even civil war, it just melted down the society and the uh, the terraforming devices was, weren't maintained, so the irradiated desert came back. And uh, sections of them, scientists and things, just went into underground bunkers. And when they emerged, they developed this whole technology science-based uh, religious practice and then they just spent the rest of the time purging the surface of mutants and all sorts um, to take control of Mars which is the first forge world and then they send out these um, arc mechanicus that's what it's called isn't it? arc mechanicus these massive ships uh, they, they could start working out when the um, uh, the warp storms when they were uh, when they weren't so prevalent, they could start working that out and they would send the ships out um, and they formed the other Forge Worlds, uh, which they later discovered during the Great Crusade. So they're quite forward-thinking. Uh, yeah, because um, during the Age of Strife, at one point, they visited Terra, uh, obviously being neighbours. They visited Terra and th- had a look to see what was going on there. And what they found was the absolute horror of what Terra had descended into, um, of the techno-barbarians and whatnot. And um, my understanding is that they, they viewed Terra as just unsalvageable. Yeah, they just they, they, left they, it. There's, no, there's nothing to say. They wanted some uh, archaeotech to see what they had uh, and their opinion on Terra was it's a waste. It's just cut it loose. Yeah. So when the Emperor managed to then conquer Terra and unify humanity there, um, he did look to he did look to Mars, and he saw the cult mechanicus there. Obviously, the the emperor at the time he had this very he still does he has a strong secular view that all religion is essentially bad and evil. So he viewed their religion as that. However, um, he looked at them, and they were so powerful that if he were to send his original adeptus astartes, uh, many of them, up against them, um, he would take horrendous losses so he as you rightly said before they came with this compromise where they would, they would join they were ally he would overlook their religious kind of ways uh, in return for their incredible work in technology armor and it's just like i just like that that realism of like yeah i don't like religion at all but uh, i need your weapons more so yeah that's fine and then the other side saying well you may or may not be the Omnissiah, but we'll just say you are. And that, that sorts our religion out. It's totally acceptable now. Uh, it's pragmatism. Yeah, I like that. Uh, uh, but the the model range, again, the thing I like about 
um, Admech is it's it all looks unified but they've all got their own their own unique uh look to them like the the castellan robots are 50s b movie robots yeah. and, they're, and they're alongside um like cowboy guitar when they brought out the the cowboy guitar it's like this i didn't realize how much i approve of the concept of cowboy guitar until they've shown me it like well why would this work but it does it 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 fits right in with the the adeptus mechanicus um I, I don't know what the unit's actually called but the cowboys guitari are fantastic i absolutely love them i think they're great they're called it's like cerberus aren't they? cerberan something or other so you can have they've got the fire breathing horses they have yeah there's the the ones just great the, the ones with the two handguns and then there's the ones with yeah the, uh the rifles uh, that that fits alongside fifties B movie robots and um, uh, like the electro priests who are amazing and uh, what they called the um, the giant walker things what they called the Onegas. Iron Striders yeah uh, yeah no it's the uh, Iron Strider Balistari oh yes yes they're uh... Uh, yeah and the it's just it's all got its own individual little look but it, it it works all together really well so i really enjoyed collecting them and i enjoyed painting them and i will eventually get around to finishing them um i haven't played them in ninth i don't know because they were quite strong in in eighth they had the uh, like the the castellan robots you could get them to fire um like plus you can get them to add plus one to there to hit roll and if you put them in protected um doctrine then they fired twice and all sorts like that so they could put out 106 shots in a turn it's um it's got quite ludicrous but quite fun okay 106 is a is a big old number of shots something like that i remember like we had to get um i was playing with friends necrons and we had, he had to get an app a dice rolling app because we didn't have 106 dice between us. Yeah, yeah. The, the Deptus Mechanicus, they've got some uh, great models. Um, uh, I also like the, the new flyer they've I was, got. I was about to say that. People started to say, oh, what's, why has it got like canvas wings? And like, well, why wouldn't it? It's, <laughs> the Deptus Mechanicus, it's not like they're going, oh, we have to redesign the wings. It's like, oh, that, that's worked in the past. There's some technology, get this into production. It's not. Yeah. It's not for them to change the design, and I think the design's great. I, th I think it's great. Um, it it just fits with the the rest of their appearance as well. It's got that big bubble cockpit thing going on, and the spindly canvas wings. Um, everything's great on it. So, and the um, the D Day landing boat they've got like that's a, that's really good. I really like that model. That fits in with electro priests and cowboy guitari and onages it's just like this it's such a great range the the only the only model I, i'm not a, an enormous fan of is the um the catafron models they're um the lads on the tracks oh yes the uh, servitors yeah they're a bit static um i mean i appreciate their servitors so they're meant to be a bit like that but 
as a model, they just look very kind of static and not particularly uh, interesting to me. But that would that be the, that's the only one out of the, the entire range that I would say I'm not a huge fan of. Uh, otherwise, the rest of their range is just absolutely fantastic. It was a, it was a good idea for them to because in seventh you had um, Codex Cult Mechanicus and Codex Skitari. For some reason, why you would well money I suppose, but they they unified them in eighth, which makes total sense and. Um, it's just it, they're a joy to collect. Uh, so that's my Adeptus Mechanicus choice. What's your number three? Uh, my number three is um, now. I hope I'm not stepping on your toes with this one because I hope I'm not uh, picking one of your lists because my number three is actually the Lizard Men. Oh, you haven't stepped on one of mine. That's crisis. Okay, cool. Then I think we're good for the rest of them. Um, so <laughs> Lizard Men. Um, I remember playing them um, back when I one of my first games of Warhammer Fantasy, uh, when Lizardmen were originally part of the box with the Bretonians. That was that famous Lizardmen invasion of Bretonia. That I yes. have no idea why yes, that would when, happen. When when the Lizardmen invaded um, the southern France. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> sieging a castle. I remember the it's fifth edition, isn't it? It's the the castle in the background. Yeah, um, fight Don't think too much into this. No, but um, I remember I had uh, I had that set. I bought that set. Um, I say I bought it. I was a kid. My parents bought it for me. Um, and I love the I love the the lizardmen from that. Um, all very static kind of monopose. It was like a body stick his arm on, you stick a shield on, stick him on the base and he's done. Um, but the Saurus, the Skinks, and I eventually um, branched out and picked up um, Clan Mage Priest, the original one. Um, where he's like a big, uh, he's a, a frog holding like a pimp cane almost. Yeah, some of that one. He's got his, um, his little minions carrying him about as yes. well. He's got his, his, uh, his entourage carrying him on their shoulders. Um, and that was that was essentially the the crux of my Lizardman army. It was a bunch of oh no, I had a salamander as well. I remember I had a salamander. So um, that was a, a fire breathing beast of Lustria. So the skinks would prod it, and you'd roll a dice to see if it how much fire it gobs out. And then if you roll poorly, it doesn't fire at all, and it eats a skink instead, or D three skinks, or D three find out how many skinks it gobbles and if it gobbles all your skinks it then i think it removes itself from the tabletop because it just wanders home or something like that. it used to um uh, in eighth it, go, it rolls on the monster reaction table i think so it goes oh, okay maybe it, it goes berserk or it's just not bothered or... yeah they tend to tend to kind of stand around idle once you uh, start rolling on the monster reaction tables yeah, there's only um, one way to go crazy and start getting frenzied the rest they're just yeah, you have to roll a six to do that, I think. And then they just, I think they immediately attack the nearest. But I, that was that was uh, my first, my first uh, uh, interaction with them. I remember playing a big battle where my friend was playing as the, the Empire. And back then, for some reason, Lizardmen, the Saurus, for instance, they had a special rule saying that their scaly skin 
would never be because they had this scaly skin. Their armor save could never be worse than a six plus. Um, so essentially, they had a, a six plus invulnerable save against even things like cannonballs. So I remember him dumping cannon shots into my unit of Saurus, and they just bouncing off. I'm not sure if you were interpreting the rules quite right at that point. Yeah, <laughs> but that's how we played it, and uh, yeah. he got very salty about that, and uh, probably rightly so. Um, you can do it. Then, have to do over. Just play him again. Then, uh, then I didn't play any fantasy for a long time after that until uh, I was at university, and that's when I picked up my dark elves, and I had a lot of experience of your lizard men at that point. Uh, lizard men in six were super powerful, as I remember anyway, because the magic system was you got one dice per level, um, yes. so Slan were level four. And then you could also roll, if you, if you took him to the second generation slan, which is like the, the most powerful one, he rolled an extra dice per magic roll or something like that. He had some insane um, casting rules. Yes, I think you got like, I think every time you try to attempt to cast, you get an extra power dice for free. Yeah. And I also believe he had plus one to his casts and dispels as well. That would make sense because you never got plus ones in um, sixth. Uh, you didn't add your level to the casting anyway. No, no, you, you uh, just added like a plus one. And then on top of that, I believe, yeah, I distinctly remember you always having a magic item where you'd hold magic dice in there, power dice in there. I think couldn't he save? Couldn't he save his dispel dice or something like that and turn them into power dice? So he might yes. be able to hold them on. I, I, always, I always remember when it came to the magic phase, uh, looking at my Dispel Dice Pool against your um, Power Dice Pool and thinking, oh gosh, this is going to hurt. So, um, there there was strong other stuff though, because the, um, the Saurus were Strength and Toughness 4 and yes. they had they had six up scaly skin, I think, at least, or five up maybe. Uh, yeah, they had two attacks and... Um, the problem with that was that they were low initiative, but if you charge yeah. them, that didn't matter. Right. So back back in that edition, they were they were good. They were very good. Um, my experience was only against playing your list, um, so the vast majority of the power felt like it came from the Slan and his excellent control of the magic. And, and their six, the um, the miscast table was nothing. It was it wasn't very damaging at all so there's no problem in dumping a load into magic and hoping for the best also your skinks uh, were a ever present annoyance uh, those poison blow darts the number of times you'd say oh these these are poison these are poison it was like that, that's just a wound. that's true that's so they were really good um i distinctly remember your um after after playing many games used to always make sure your skink uh, screens were up against my, my shooting because my shooting could not hit them for, for nothing. <laughs> by the time you were uh, multi-shot and then you're shooting skirmishes and you're shooting at long range, it's kind of like, okay, I can't hit anything at this point. Yeah, roll that eight. Yeah, I think, I, was, I think at one point I was rolling sevens. So you need to roll a six and then roll a four up afterwards. Or something like that. So. Pretty good. But um, we got to Lizardmen. I always like the aesthetic of them, which is basically because I love dinosaurs. Anyone knows me loves knows I love dinosaurs, and lizard men have access to more dinosaurs than anyone else. So I was always drawn to them. I also like the the 
bright colors and the gold and the kind of the Aztec kind of theme to it. So um, very much stolen um, that kind of aesthetic from, from that kind of part of history. The story, or rather the lore behind the Lizardmen, is not as good as other armies um, at all, in my opinion. Um, like if you look at, um, like we mentioned before, the, the Tomb Kings, the, the Vampires, the Empire, Elves of all different kind of ways of life, they all have much more interesting stories than the Lizardmen, who are the Old One's servants and there to protect and to maintain the balance and this, that and the other. Because as a result, what they end up doing is just kind of sitting around Lustria or wherever they are and not really doing a whole lot else. So they're, so they're not to, the most interesting. It's all to progress the plan, isn't it? It's the, the yeah. Old one, the plan. They left a so plan. But the, all the first generation slan who actually interacted with the old ones, um, they're all dead. So even though the second generation slan are probably the oldest things on the in the Warhammer world, they haven't had direct interaction with the the old ones who've set this plan in motion. And they've got bits of the plan in like glyphs and fragments of it. So they sort of they don't they like to think about what the plan might be and what they might do, but they don't actually they're not very big on taking a lot of action, un- except for Mazda Mundi, who is strange in that he's extremely active in the world. Um, so that's his little um, character piece. But yeah, they, things like where um, the World's Edge mountains were all realigned um, because that's what they thought the, the plan required. And that ended up destroying the Dwarven Empire and sort of adding to the decline of that race um and as all this was so tech was he that's the skink god he's this not one of, he's not one of the old ones snakes. Yeah. yeah he's not one of the old ones and he's only mentioned on like one uh glyph so most of the mage priests at the time like, well, this this is probably not part of the plan but as it turns out he does end up um Becoming the major, one of the major gods, but very but, influential in repelling the uh, clan pestilence. Yes, salt on. That's uh, what's he got? Ten and how and the prophet. Yes, he's the prophet yeah. of Great little but, model as well, with him holding a oh, a, he's a rat heart in his hand. He's he's buff. He's new. He's newer model. He's like he's he's huge. Yo, his new model is um. Yeah, he's been hitting the gym. The big lad for a skink. Anyway, he's a uh, he's a strong lad. But I was the, I was quite uh, a shame they didn't have a model for Mazda Mundi as well. Well, he rides about on his um, Segadon, doesn't he? Segadon, doesn't he? Yeah. Yeah, they should have done. He's in uh, Total War as well. Yes, yes, Total War, great, great game by the way. Um, very good for the lore as well. It seems to be very kind of. Creative Assembly want to send me um, an advanced copy of Total War 3. I I'll give you a good review. <laughs> Paid <Promise>. reviews. <laughs> I will sell out to uh, Creative Assembly, not a problem. The, um, with the Lizardmen as well, even their standout characters, I find, again, just to be a little bit on the stale side. So um, when you read through their special characters, none of them kind of jump out and say oh they're really 
interesting kind he's of cro- croc he's one he's like the uh croc guy yeah yeah veteran uh saurus old blood but yeah he's, he's not really but they try, they try to wedge them into like they say when um calador was uh, creating the vortex to drain all the magic out of the world oh the, the lizard men now they sort of realized it and lent their power to it like now yeah yeah well they, allegedly the 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 slant added their power to it and that was the main reason why it worked or whatever. rubbish so a lot of it i feel i feel because because they weren't there in the at the beginning when they first created warhammer fantasy they've kind of had to kind of force them in and they don't have this previous track record of interacting with other races um, beyond what that's on their doorstep already. And then all of a sudden there's this area called the Southlands as well, which is like next to where the Tomb Kings are in Kemri. Um, there's apparently the big jungle there as well. So that's how you get lizard men in the old world. But again, you know, I, I say we weren't going to get onto this top- subject of uh, ridiculous matchups there. Huh? But... <laughs> yeah, but, but yeah. Uh, there's like yeah, there's lost cities in the um, Southlands who they they the Slan Mage priests talk using the geomatic web, which is like a telepathy system. But because it's misaligned, they can't talk to the ones in the um, in the Southlands. I never used to. I haven't read the most up to date law. No, they're still split off. It's, it's, it's when it's when the it's when the landmass like broke apart and split. Um, so. But like the, they've got Lord Croak, who's a good character. Croak, Croak is one of the, the most interesting of the lot, uh, with him being an actual first-generation slan. He just happens to be dead. I, uh, I'm going to have to... I don't think he's first-generation. I, I believe think he is. I think he's the first of the second generation. I might be wrong there. But we'll check that out. But he's... Um, if you read his description of... Uh, what I, I say, I should have researched. Well, I couldn't research your topics. I forget what the city is that he's defending, but um, at the end, it's like all the demons are in the invasion of chaos. Um, the, the demons and whatever from the water from the realms of chaos are in uh, in circle in his um pyramid. Mm. And it's, it's supposed to be like an atom bomb of magic going off that um annihilates them, and uh, although. He is now dead. That doesn't stop him being a uh, active participant in, because he's not undead. He is actually dead. It's just his spirit is yes. uh, inhabiting the corpse, and yes, it can so, still cast magic. Yes. So his um, his his body is essentially a mummified slan, and um, he does have an attendance to him, but apparently his spirit is so strong that it refuses to move on. So he essentially haunts his own own corpse and cast spells through it somehow so and he's got his own little mummified skink attendant who... yeah that's adorable by the way i think that's really cute it's, um, it's good attention to detail that they gave yes. him that. but he um in the in the current say the current i mean in the eighth edition um warhammer fantasy book lord crook only knows one spell um and that is the uh, tactical nuclear bomb you just mentioned earlier yeah, um, still do it. He still got it. Still got it. He can. He can. Fortunately, it makes him incredibly one-dimensional. Like if you drop that model on the field, people know exactly what he's going to do, and they can uh, they can work around it. So, 
unfortunately, he's not a very good special character to feel. But most special characters in 8th edition are pretty poor. Yeah, there's only a few that are... They're fun, some of them, but in terms of real use out of them. Yeah. He's a lot of points as well, so you can take another slant is probably a better idea. But looking at the Lizardman models, they do have some great models. Um, big fan of the Troglodon. Um, <laughs> Speaking of models that aren't very good, but look good. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. So <laughs> he's not a very good fighter. He's not very good at anything, to be honest. Um, it's weird. When they, when they designed that model, or that unit rather, they wanted it to have an impact in every phase of the game. So he, he's quick. He, the, the, the character that rides him is a caster, so he can cast magic. The beast itself can spit acid, so he can shoot. And he can fight, because he's a giant monster, so he can fight as well. It's just really unfortunate that he's absolutely awful at all of those things. Absolutely awful. So, unfortunately, while, while it looks like a... and, and the, You read the lore about it, and it's, it's meant to be one of the most deadly creatures in all of Lustria. It's supposed to be absolutely terrifying. And as a result, you put it on the field, and people will, will ignore it, because it's just not that good. So... Um, which is a shame because I've got one and I think it's great. I love the model. And um, I think I even, I even managed to do a, a decent paint job on this one. So uh, I'm uh, disappointed, but I, you know, I still use it whenever I do feel my lizards. I think the Stegodon is an amazing model. Um, the new plastic. I say new. I've got to stop saying new because these models are not new. Yeah, but relatively the, new. Well, that's another one. Sorry, go on. No, no, go ahead, go ahead. I was going to say that's another one that they benefited from upscaling because the 6th edition Stegodon was tiny, tiny block of metal that you could probably kill someone with. But when they, up, they upscaled it uh, into the plastic version, when they started saying, oh, people like dinosaurs, let's see how many variants of dinosaurs with things strapped to them we can do, that's probably the, the lizard men at the best. Yes, because going on from the Stegodon, we have the Bastilodon, which is the um, the forty uh, the the Warhammer Fantasy version of the uh, Ankylosaurus, I think it's called in real life. Um, it's a big armored thing, and it? yes, the big armored thing, and it's got the um, revivification crystal on the back, so it essentially shoots laser beams in the magic phase, uh, which is great. Um, lovely little model, and then they've got pterodons. And Ripodactyls, um, which are great fun again. So all about the the big silly dinosaurs. And I think the I think the Saurus look great. I think the Temple God look great. They are very monopose because they are old models that would fit in slaughter bases. So um, they're very monopose. The Saurus models they were sixth edition, so they are old. Yes, they are. They are old. They they they, they have parts of the army which is. Like the bigger monsters are, their, their models are fine. They, I think they're great, but the infantry units in particular all could do with a bit of an update. Which they're never going to get. I mean, this, 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 the, the, the lizard men, known as the Seraphon. No, in, they're uh, not. No, no. Uh, we're not going to talk uh, Age of Sigma. Um, None of that. <laughs> but yes, uh, I, think, I think the lizard men are great. I think, that, I think their lore is a bit. Um, stale, but I feel uh, I, I feel that like they are an important part of Warhammer Fantasy. It's just it's one of those things in the background that you don't really think about. They're not flashy in that kind of sense. But I do enjoy the Lizardmen. I like playing as them. They're very reliable. 
because of the cold-blooded rules. Oh, that's that. annoying. That's, yeah. It's when you go three dice and think, oh, double six, oh, and a one. Oh, they're not going yeah. anywhere. I mean, you say it's annoying. I remember many times fighting your lizards and you're like, <laughs> oh, cold blood, cold blood. And it's like, oh, for God's sake, will you just panic and run already? So, What, what I used to do, I remember this, uh, when I first started playing them, is roll three dice and take the two highest. Like, well, why are you doing that? <laughs> the, the rules. Wow. <laughs> that's the worst. That's, uh, that's terrible. That's, that's why would you do that to yourself? It's the opposite of the rule. Yeah. Um, like cold blooded. Yeah, they're not going anywhere. Oh, cold blooded is a fantastic rule. Even yeah. even your skinks at leadership five with the cold blooded rule. Um, it's, it's it adds two equivalents to your leadership, doesn't it? Essentially, so. it makes them just above, like between leadership seven and eight on statistics. Apparently, um, it makes them really good, and it makes your uh, saurus just super um, reliable. And if you put a slan in the unit, they become stubborn and uses leadership nine. So, yeah. Um, that unit is unless unless like the unless the stars align. I know the Slan are a big fan of aligning the stars. Yeah, very um, much so. Then they're not going to run. They're not going to run. So yeah, I like the lizards. Um, great. On a, just one last point about the lizards. I always loved the unit of the skinks with the croxagore inside the unit. No, sadly no longer with us that uh, skink screen technique no you know that you could actually have a skink cohort infantry block with sort and um, crocs go inside it i thought you, i didn't know you could still do that yeah yeah you can have the crocs stand in the second rank and uh, have skinks around them so I, I love the concept of the skinks kind of scuttling around these big lads um thinking they're tough when obviously they're not so uh, so, my number two is Imperial Knights. And I stress Imperial, not Chaos. I like the Chaos ones, but yes. They are fantastic. They are so much fun to play. Um, I bought a knight just out of... Because I saw the picture of the one with the harpoon. That's what I... That's the, all I knew it as. Although, I'll just... I like that model. I'm going to... Um, put that with my ad mech army um i bought it and it it must have been I don't know, made of crack cane or something because it's actually addictive to build and um buy more knights it, it seemed like i could get a knight built within a day and then undercoat it and get it looking pretty good within a very short space of time so that's quite encouraging to get you to buy buy more uh, and painting is not something I'm a particular fan of. So the speed at which I could get a night done was amazing. And they just look so impressive. They're, they're huge um, on the tabletop. And and they're so much fun to play. And they're so everything about them is ridiculous. You, you, would ne you could never use that sort of thing. In a, I know it's, it's a ludicrous setting. But to strap a, a massive chainsaw onto a, a knight and, and put it in a combat, in hand-to-hand -hand combat with things, or to strap a, a, a giant flamer onto something, or a, a harpoon that electrocutes things at short range, it's, it's so ludicrous that it's just fun. Uh, every game I've played with my knights has been fun, even when they've been destroyed. And... 
the secondary to that is the law is is good as well in that again, again this um gray morality thing the um during the age of strife uh all the planets who had been accepting to psychers and said oh yeah we must uh, accept them and use their skills and stuff they all had portals to the warp opened and were devastated the night worlds said we're not having any of this uh psychers will just be burnt uh, and we're not having it so they just they survived uh, with they survived through it with with not that much of a problem so just like that thing yeah they did burn all the psychers and it was the right thing to do so it's like that i just like that um that sort of morality that they're putting on it and the the houses of the knights they're all you know the nobles some of them are very much like oh we've got to look after the the little guy and adhering to the the duties of a knight and they're just great yeah i was i was surprised um about how much law there was behind the knights themselves um it wasn't until you started collecting knights that i really look into them i, I just i just saw them as like oh that's a big cool model but once you started collecting them and getting into them really in, uh, impressive pictures of your uh the, they photograph so well as well. It's so easy to, you know, to just because of how big they are in relation to the other units on the game. So I've taken thousands of photographs and bored people to tears on Instagram with them. But it's just that's probably my second favorite part of the the hobby in total is after playing is um, fo- taking photographs of the games, and the nights just look they just look so imposing and. There's some of the best models that I think Games Workshop have produced. Uh, and the Valiant, the first one I bought, is probably my favorite night model. Although I like the Gallant, just because the Gallant is such a ludicrous concept of a, an entirely close combat uh, giant walker. It, it doesn't make any sense, and it's brilliant. And he just barrels in as fast as he can tries to chop up as much as possible before he explodes and hopefully takes more stuff out with him. And it's just... Yeah, I've, I've been at the wrong end of that against your knights. Um, but it, that wasn't yeah, fun. <laughs> no. But knights to play, uh, um, it's it's total alpha strike. If you get your first turn and it goes well, then you've got a good chance. If you go in second and things don't, and you start... Because if you lose a model, that's 25% of your army gone in in one chunk yeah so when when you feel the gallant uh, you're always taking that risk aren't you that you want to get first turn yes you said to yourself that he's essentially the the uh the uber distraction con effect because you just yeah, barge it, him it right up and then it's a case of he hits something in hand to hand and it's a case of your opponent then has to make a decision do they do they spend enough uh, firepower or combat capability to de- deal with him, um, which then leaves your other knights relatively unharmed? Or do you, you know, try and neutralize him or ignore him? But again, you can't because that thing in hand-to-hand is so powerful. Um, it's very difficult one to deal with effectively, especially when you pull out that stratagem when he dies and he blows up regardless. Or you, four, he blows right? on a four rather than that's a six. It. That's, yeah, it. So that's so good, though. That one even if he good. dies, he's going to take something with him, hopefully, 
Uh, but you expect him to die. It's, oh it's yeah, when, when you when you play like that, you you're essentially offering him up. So you are making that sacrificial. Sounds very uh, well thought out. I just thought I'd barrel them forward and see what happens. And, and it's it's a different uh, play style as well, rather than because you you haven't got much to work with at all. You've got um, four models sometimes. So and again, talking about split fire being the topic the name of the channel. Um, Split fire becomes incredibly important because if you dump uh, an entire knight's firepower into one target, you can you can overcook it. Uh, so, d- do I fire everything at this target to make sure it's dead, or do I try to go for a couple of targets to because they're high threat? Um, because you have to declare all your targets before you start shooting, and then it, if it, it goes drastically wrong, you're thinking, well, this I don't know this. Um, volcano lance should be able to kill that thing and then you roll a one for the number of shots and then you miss like right i have got i've got nothing else to to deal with that issue i'm gonna have to hope that that doesn't come back and bite me so it's quite tense to play as them because it it may seem like it's all just alpha strike and everything goes well it's fine but when things start missing and when your knights start exploding and you're left with one knight on half wounds um to deal with Fifty percent of an army that's left, uh, right? How how am I going to get out of this one? And especially with the new objective-based system, the ninth edition, parking them on objectives is some is possible, but they don't count as scoring. Uh, what is it like? Obs- object secured, whatever it used to be. They don't count as yeah. that. So they've got to kill everything on the objective. Um, so they're good at killing. They're not so good at holding. Um, but that's uh, people say knights are now like a low tier army. I, I've had, I'm not saying I'm great or I'm like playing top tier players, but I've had a reasonable amount of success with them and they're still fun. And I'd still play with them if even if they were even if they were low, low tier army because they're, they're just so much fun to bring to play to shoot to. To paint, even I've actually enjoyed painting knights. So, I think one of the uh, reasons why people describe them as a low tier army currently is because of the objective based gameplay, and with the relatively recent updates to melter weapons and the the addition of certain units which uh, specialize against vehicles. So. I haven't played with the updated melter rules, so this may be subject to change if they can just be melted immediately or, or whatever it is, but they're, they're still so much fun. I, was, uh, I did like in the lore as well. I know you briefly touched on it when you said uh, that morally grey area where they just burned all the, the psychers. Yeah, totally not except they didn't. Yeah. Anything that's changed on you not having it put... They're, um, they're also ancient. They predate the... Um, the Imperium Knights. They, yes, they're STC constructs, aren't they? They're sent by the, um, like, I think it's the, the year uh, twenty thousand or even fifteen thousand. They're sent out uh, on colony ships, um, and produced to uh, blow apart rock or chainsaws, like to cut down trees and stuff, just to get the colony started and to protect it. So they've, and then I like how an entire feudal nobility emerges from these colonies uh, yeah you've got you've got knights in armor defending the uh, the populace and 
different houses take that more seriously than others. Um, but they've got a, a relation because they're split into uh, Imperialis and uh, Mechanicus. But they've got a good relationship with the Adeptus Mechanicus because they're of extreme interest to the Mechanicus because they can turn them out. The, the SDCs exist. Uh, and they're very simple and very powerful at develop. So, and the the night worlds are very rich in resources. So the deal is that <clears throat> the Mechanicus will provide them with repairs and new night suits in return for vast amounts of resources. So everybody wins. Yes, I re probably my favorite 40k army, Imperial Knights. And it was entirely by mistake, well, not mistake, but just on a, I'll buy that. I've got 80 quid spare. I'll buy that knight. I, I, I remember it. You were umming and about buying a knight for a while. I think you went on holiday and you sent me this message saying, stuff it, I'm just going to buy one. I want one. And I was like, okay, cool. That's the best way to address any issue, I think. Just do it. Yeah, knight valiant. That's what I'd be if I was in the 40 foot. I would be some like Imperial Navy slave loading the guns until I was died of overwork i'd be a, a knight in a valiant suit I'm, I'm glad we can pick and choose what we are in the 41st millennium why uh, well yeah why wouldn't i be <laughs> but anyway what is your number two choice my number two and this was this was a hard one for me to choose between one or the other really hard but i ended up um picking number two as goblins <laughs> so you can guess what my number one is going to be um but um i put goblins as my number two simply because i haven't really done any work or played any games with my goblins for about 18 months now so i've been very much focused on a different army instead so goblins i used to play a, like a big orc and goblin army i had a massive orc and goblin army um and i used to use lots of orcs only a few goblin units and every game I had I used to always reflect afterwards that it was always my goblin units that I thought were the most fun or performed better than I expected them to. I was always felt I always felt a little bit disappointed in my orcs. I felt that they should have done more, they shouldn't have died so easily, that kind of thing. So um I ended up losing that army unfortunately. I uh, I lost it and I had to start again. And I wasn't gonna start again but um after chatting to a few people, one of them being yourself, I was like, oh no, I need to get back into the hobby. We need to do this again. So I started picking up started picking up goblins at first because I always enjoyed the night goblin units. I think night goblins in particular are great. I think they're fantastic. They are sneaky, they are cowardly, and they are just absolute little, little shits. Um, I just love everything about them. The, the randomness of playing that army, the you never play two games which are the same. So every game you play is different. You get all of the, the silly artillery pieces like the Doom Diver. I love the Doom Diver. That's ridiculous. Um, I love the Squigs. All the Squigs, like the giant Squigs, the Squig Hoppers, the Squig Herds. All of that stuff's great. Trolls, Spider Riders. It's all fantastic. I love it. The one thing I say about playing an exclusively goblin list is do not expect to win any games like ever. 
So if you win a game, that's great, well done. But um, it's normally because your opponent either played terribly or rolled very poorly, um, and, and it had nothing to do with you. So. There's a surprising amount of people who do play all goblin lists, and it, like it's almost an intentional, um, almost self harm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's. Well, the other thing with the the goblin list is um, it it it's complete opposite of what you were mentioning before with your knights because your knights will have very quick turns because you have like five models on the or six models. That's it with the with the with the goblins. Before you even start moving anything, you have to do a swath of checks for everything. You've got animosity tests, you've got stupidity tests, you've got random movement, and then you're probably going to have to take some kind of rally test because something will have wet itself and run away. So, what's the standard ship? Is it four? And your night goblin le the leadership of a night goblin is five. Um, the leadership of a night goblin warlord, so a lord character, is seven. So, so average human leadership. Yes, yes. So your lord who rallies the troops has got the same leadership as your average farmhand. So um, it's yeah, quite. I need to play uh, orcs and goblins of goblins in particular because the, the the ritual at the start of rolling, oh, I'm going to do this, this, and this. Let's roll the um, uh, animosity tests. Uh, one, uh, one, one, one. Like, right, so half my army is now fighting with the other half. It, it, it requires some quick thinking to recover from your army sabotaging itself. Well, you you roll the animosity. Before you make any declarations, so you at least you at least find out what's going to behave itself before you start sending out orders. Um, the issue is is when your big unit that you're relying on in this next turn um, passes its animosity test, but the one next to it fails it, and then when they roll on their table, they end up throwing who at the nearest friendly unit, which happens to be your big fighter unit, and as a result, that unit will throw poo back at them, and so neither of them do anything you want. Despite the fact the original one passed its animosity test, so it gets very that can be a little bit frustrating. Um, but like I said, you 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 play this you play this army purely for the experience and not for any kind of like looking to win anything. So I I, I mean I also like the the variety of it because you've got things like you've got your fanatics. I like to feel trolls. I like to feel the giant. You've got the giant spider as well, haven't you? I do. Um, I do have the giant spider. I haven't got around to painting it. I was on a absolute Outrageous. painting craze, but I haven't got around to doing that one, unfortunately. Fantastic model, the Arachnorok spider. Um, incredibly durable, very fighty, uh, unbelievably expensive in points cost as well. So if you do decide to field him, um, you need to get him going immediately. And also as a monster, he's immune to animosity. He's not subject to that. So he's one of your units. He's going to do what you, you tell him. You got him at uh, Warhammer World. I, I did. I did. Um, after after a sustained a sustained period of peer pressure, um, I ended up buying the spider, despite the fact I said I wouldn't. So. Well, uh, all I can say is your opponents know what's good for you. I mean, they, they they do they do they have they have my best interest at heart. No Should have done has got a second one really. I mean that that would have been the uh, what do they call it the nine hundred IQ play. But, 
I'm not maybe, familiar with that one. <laughs> maybe in the future. Um, but I don't know. I, I don't really... Like I say, I haven't played much fantasy. Um, everything else seems to have been sidetracked by something else, which we'll get to. Um, but I, I really like, I really enjoy the Orc and Goblin army, or rather, just my Goblin army. Um, I think the lore behind the goblins is good. There's a few standout goblins who have fantastic lore around them. Most of the lore is about orcs, to be honest. Uh, goblins are very much kind of like a support cast to them. But there are some standout goblins who've got fantastic lore around them. So the the, the two who jump to mind uh, is Grom the Paunch and uh, Skarsnik Warlord of Carrick 8P. Those two stand out the most. Um, Grom the Paunch, being a goblin of absolute stupidity, uh, I think he lost a bet or he, reason he decided to eat troll meat. So trolls, famous for their regenerative powers. Um, he ate some troll meat. So when he ate the meat, as his digestive system tried to digest the meat, the meat itself was regenerating itself. And apparently this goblin rolled around for like days on end in unceasing agony whilst uh, this battle of his gut and this troll meat went on. Until eventually his gut actually won. Like he became a much bigger and more powerful goblin as a result and became a warlord. Um... And I don't know the full story behind it, but somehow, I don't know if he got his goblin army, and I think they were sailing to, to attack the Empire or something like that, but they got blown off course and landed on Ulthuan. Am I right there? Yeah, he's, um, he's rivals with Eltharion the Grim. That's right. He's, he's the lad on the Griffin, isn't he? Uh, yes. Yes, so... Yeah, his, uh, his goblin horde got blown off course and landed on the shores of Ulthuan, where they they did what goblins do, and they just started like burning and pillaging the place. So, big battle on, uh, on Ulthuan. Uh, Grom was defeated um, in the end. Um, like most bad guys in Warhammer <laughs> Fantasy, uh, he didn't do so well in the end. But a great little story. Um, he, he rides around on a unique chariot, um, which is pulled by three uh, wolves, and he's got a, a special magic weapon uh, called Elf Biter, which is a magic axe. Um, it makes him no longer fear elves, and in fact, elves fear him instead. And I think it also makes friendly goblin units within 12 inches also not fear elves. I can't remember. Because that's another little interesting uh, point about goblins. Um, unnecessarily, they just fear elves. They feel that elves are just weird. They smell he's bad and stuff like he's that. Throwing around the unnecessarily word a bit too liberally there. I do apologize. Got a very good reason to fear elves. The, uh, I mean, elves are absolute killing machines in eighth edition. But yeah, that's another, that's another little point. When I play my goblins, and I go up against elf armies. That's an, an additional little uh, little that's handicap. Another, another little. Uh, Another little leadership test for you to Yes, put, just another uh, little leadership test to do for just for for, for fun. Yeah. Why wouldn't you want your army that already sucks at combat not to uh, then have to roll fear tests against average troops? Well, your opponent's average troops. Um but yeah, the goblins they've got they've got things like fanatics, which are great fun. They've got things like the Mangler Squig. I think he's a fantastic um 
fantastic little unit. Uh, the new Mangler Squig that they released is amazing. Um, it's enormous as well. It's way too big for use in uh, 8th edition. But I did buy one and then not assemble it like I do with a lot of things. So I'd say this is the one that's in plastic rather than resin. Yes, he's the plastic one. My resin one, um, I put it together and then it's basically two heavy balls of resin attached with spindly legs. And because they're so heavy, the resin started to bend. And as a result, I had to uh, pin it onto the base. And it now has like a, a non-uniform base. It's... I'll, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm sure you remember seeing it, but it's... Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm sure it's totally acceptable. It's... Well, yeah, it's fine because the the... The Mangler Squig itself, it doesn't fight in combat. It essentially acts like a, a super fanatic in that it bounces through things. So the base size itself doesn't really make much difference. No, yeah. fanatics is something, you, well, if you're a good player, you remember. I tend to forget that they exist until somebody says, stop, you're eight inches away. Now this happens. Yeah. But you, right. Also, they're concealed. So your yeah. opponent doesn't know where they are. And if you've got a habit of always fielding them, your opponent will uh, will hesitate to get near. So uh, I remember playing against one of my dwarf uh, player friends. He moved one of his units within eight inches, and then he stopped and stared at me. And he was like, does anything happen now? And I'm like, not yet. Nope. <laughs> and then he was like, damn, I was hoping to bait that out. And I was like, yep, they're not in that unit. <laughs> So, yeah, sometimes it's really obvious, but other times it's yeah, it's it's when yeah, you don't know uh, how many there are either. It could be one, there could be six. Yeah, so it's a maximum of three per unit, and if you've got three units of uh, night goblins on the board, but you've only got three uh, uh, fanatics in your list, then they could all be in one unit, or they could have one each, or it could be a combination of things. So if uh, if your opponent has Three units of night goblins and nine fanatics on the side of the board. Uh, you can pretty much guess that they're in every single unit. That's the whole. Uh, it's got to go well. Typically for that kind of army, uh, it's got to go well straight away uh, because otherwise they then become random movers. You can then cut through your own side. Oh yes, uh, the number of times I've I remember one of my fanatics and I rolled. See how far it went, and it went two inches. So it lands literally outside of my own unit. And then in the next turn, um, you don't want to move through it, but you've got a bloody fanatic sat in front of your unit. And then when it randomly moves, it pings through three of my own units. It was like, okay. Are you not supposed to sort of put them off at a diagonal so you move? Your unit can still move if if they're uh, if they only go three inches or so. Um. Well. The, the units, because they're, they're night goblins, they're three points each. You have to have huge units to absorb all those losses. To avoid panic. Your unit's so wide, and you want to get it straight towards your opponent as close as possible. So you normally just do like straight lines, right up. And uh, I suppose if, even if you do kill, does it D6? D6 strength 5 hits? Yeah, D6 strength 5 hits. So a unit of 80, you're not really going to do... You're not going to no. But I, I normally roll them in units of 40. Uh, I mean, a lot of people who do use uh, Night Goblins, they use these enormous buses of like 80 uh, Goblins and stuff. But 
I think that's kind of unfun. I like uh, I like having a little bit smaller than that. They're uh, they're also I think it's the only army where their bolt throwers can blow up. Yeah, yeah. Unique uh, trait about the bolt throwers is that uh, they have this the special rule called slipshod because they're literally thrown together using bits of string. Like they MacGyver these things up and get them to throw um, bolts at people. So um, they, if you roll a one to hit, you then you then roll on the uh, the stone thrower misfire table. And uh, I've had uh, my own bolt throwers blow up in the past. But then again, they're, for a bolt thrower, they're unbelievably cheap. They're so, yeah, they're, they're 30 so cheap. points or something, aren't they? 35 points, yeah. 35 points. You can just spam them. It doesn't matter if they blow up. Yeah, so each one takes up a single... Uh, it takes two bolt throwers to take up a slot. So Are they you rare? can get a lot. No, they're special. Special, oh well. Yeah. The Doom Dive is rare. Um uh, both throwers are special. And I think the the rock lobber is rare as well. There's a there's an army list out there which is the uh, the orc and goblin gun line, and um, it's apparently a very very tough one to be because they they can field so much artillery for so cheap. It's just not very good. <laughs> but yeah, it, but I've seen I could see artillery parks working for them because. Doesn't matter. You can just pack so many in to yeah. blast everything apart before it gets there. But That's it's always it. interesting and to fight an army that can destroy itself without you even having to do anything. It's I, I, was it against your Tomb Kings where we had yeah we played a draw again with your Tomb Kings and we counted it up at the end of it and I did more damage to my army than you did. Yeah, I think that's right. Another draw. Uh, that that was another uh, sterling draw I managed for the Tomb Kings. I said they're not very well powered. Um, that was at some. It was like under a railway arch, wasn't it? That place. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's a uh, dark sphere dark in London, so, yeah. under, underneath Waterloo Station. That's my claim to fame. Um, talking about notable goblins, the other one. I like is a, a lad called Skarsnik. Um, so he's the warlord of Eight Peaks. Karak Eight Peaks being a, uh, a dwarven stronghold. Uh, famously in a three-way power tussle between the, uh, the goblins, the skaven, and the dwarves. And the dwarves never do well in this, ever, in all the stories. They're like a whipping boy, uh, the dwarves. They just seem to get the rough side of everything. They do, they do. Unfortunately, um, like you mentioned before, with the uh, the, the lizard men or the slan moving the the world's edge mountains around, and then all these ruined heaps and whatnot, full of beast men and goblins and the gave and the rest of it. Uh, they have a tough time to the to the dwarves. That's Carrick Eight Peaks. Is uh, that's where um, Queek's from, isn't it? Or that's where he's yeah, that's where he operates out of. Yep, uh, it's head taker. So the Karak A Peaks itself has got like a few different levels to it. I think the very top level is controlled by the Skaven and the bottom level is controlled by the Goblins and there's a bit of it which is still kind of respectable and that's held by the Dwarf. I, think they, I forget what the Dwarf High King's called but he's made it a pledge to... Um, 
address every grudge in the book of grudges, which would be optimistic, I would say, but you never know. They might take it back. But yeah, I will uh, leave it there for my, my beloved goblins. Uh, I do love them. Uh, ever, ever, always funny. No game's ever the same, but you, know, you, you don't win games. You're just, you're just there to have fun. Winning's an optional extra anyway. So uh, we move on to your number one. I've got a funny feeling. I know where it is. Can you guess who my number one choice was? Is your number one choice the High Elves? It is High Elves. Hey! Obviously it was High Elves. The greatest faction in any game ever. Um, from lore, model, fun to play, uh, the characters, the history, everything about the High Elves is fantastic. And I know they're a ripoff of uh, Tolkien elves, but somehow they've mutated in what they did to them. And I think the law around the high elves is much better than like, controversial is much better than the, the stuff they initially ripped it off from. Um, <laughs> because the, although they're a dying race, uh, they haven't given up. They're not clearing off to some land across the ocean or whatever the hell happened in uh, Middle Earth. Their their outlook is: if we're going out, we're um, we're going to take as many chaos with us as possible. They still think they they still protect um, the world. They still expend their armies to stop uh, chaos, undead, anything like that. They're still protecting the the lesser races even though they think they're beneath them. Um, they're just great heroes, all of them. Um, they're, they're dwindling in population, but that doesn't stop them. They've they've gone from having an army to a citizen levy, so they're all trained in some form of warfare because they're going to be needed everywhere in the old world. Um, all the law really... So, um, is surrounding them. The reason the world's the way it is 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 linked to them. Um, the split with the Dark Elves um, linking to Anarion. Like Anarion is probably one of the greatest um, characters in in any of the Games Workshop stuff. He's the ultimate tragic uh, hero in that he's. Um, in the initial chaos invasion after the polar gates collapsed and the old ones left, um, demons and all sorts invaded the old world. Um, the elves were a non-martial race. Uh, I think it's the Ever Queen was ruling over them, like a non-militaristic, the, the, the crafts and the farming and stuff like that. Um, uh, then they get invaded by chaos. Um, Anarian's a uh, an adventurer who's been across to other lands comes back, realizes what's happening, um, tries to lead a defense, um, doesn't work. Uh, so he, he makes an offering of himself to um, a Syrian, um, throws himself into the flame of a Syrian as a sacrifice. Uh, he's not incinerated. He um, gets imbued with uh, godly power and destroys the chaos invasion. Uh, along with his, the help of his friend Calador, who is the greatest mage. Um, 
did he did he uh, use the warp sword of Cain during that? No, he, in the initial thing, he, he doesn't use it. Um, but when they uh, the the second chaos invasion, um, he can't hold he can't hold it back. So that's when he goes to the uh, the shrine of Cain and draws the um, Widowmaker, um, which you must never do. Oh. Apparently. Because it uh, it curses your bloodline for eternity, um, so that is the sword, a fragment of the sword of the elder god of war, Cain, um, which is on. I think it is on the island of blood. No, it isn't. Why is my law failing me now? On my favorite army. Well, anyway, there's an island at the north of Ulthuan where the the temple is that holds the sword. Um, everyone says this is a terrible idea. Don't draw it. And he says, "I'll, you know, I'll take on any burden to save the uh, one. Uh It does. Uh, it does work. Uh, however, he moves his court to. Um, oh, that's why it's because his wife and children are all believed murdered by um, agents of chaos. And that sends them around the bend. Uh, after all that, he then uh, hooks up. He saves Morathi from a Chaos Warband, who, spoilers, turns out to be a Slanash worshipper. And she sort of corrupts him. Um, uh, and he moves the court to Nagarith, and it becomes this sort of um, depraved, sort of like proto dark elf um, court culture. Uh, and then so there's a lot of murder and all sorts going on so he he sort of loses his way quite a lot then there's another um, chaos invasion and he uh, Kalador suggests draining all the magic from the world in some great vortex thing which will depower the demons and Arion isn't um he doesn't want to do that. He doesn't think that's a, a very good idea. It cuts Kalador off. Kalador goes off and does his own thing. Uh, Kalador appears to him as he's doing this ritual, asking for his help. Um, he eventually puts these grievances aside with Kalador. Uh, they have this massive confrontation um, in the great uh, in the in the middle of the inner sea. Uh, that's where he famously kills um, four greater demons. Um, uh, on the back of his dragon. Uh, they do manage to complete the ritual. They drain the magic from the world, uh, ending the chaos incursion. He goes back to um, uh, the Shrine of Cain, puts the sword back, and that's why he's believed dead, although they never recover the body. Um, and then his son uh, is passed over for uh, the title of Phoenix King. Um which he apparently takes quite well, but actually um, secretly... I don't think he did, to be honest. No, it didn't work like that. So he poisons, I think it's Belshanor, who's the next Phoenix King. Yeah, I think you're right, yeah. Uh, um, poisons him, says he's a secret chaos worshipper, poisons the uh, council, says I'm the real Phoenix King, uh, walks through the flame of Assyrian, who rejects him, uh, incinerates his body, and that's when the split with the Dark Elves comes uh, with the High Elves. 
they ex they spend the next thousands of years uh, having a go at each other. Uh, sometimes dark elves get the ascendancy, sometimes the high elves do. The dark elves um, initiate the war of the beard by dressing up high elves and wiping out uh, dwarven caravans. Uh, trade caravans. The king of the dwarfs se sends an emissary to the elven, uh, the phoenix king, saying, "I need some compensation for this. What stopped destroying our caravans?" Uh, the king at the time is Calador II, who did nothing wrong. Uh, quite logically, says you don't talk to a king like that, and has the uh, ambassador shaved, which is a great uh, offense. Great, yeah. great offense to a dwarf. Uh, that starts the War of the Beard, which explains why um, elves and dwarfs don't get on. Uh, and then le much later on, after that's all resolved, it is um, Teclas, who is a distant relative of Anarion, who's the greatest mage of the time, who um, encounters the Empire and starts the Imperial uh, College of Magic. So they're responsible for that. Um, basically, everything that happens in the world is in some way connected to what the High Elves have done or failed to do. And the yeah. great. It's, they're, they're one of those races that, um, similar to the dwarves, they're ever-present. They're intertwined with so many different storylines. And quite rightly, they, they have some of the, the most interesting characters and best storylines in an area. Um, they are absolutely iconic, been ever present the whole time through, and um, and although, like you said, they are um, basically ripped off from Tolkien's elves, they the, the story that they've developed for them, um, they're now a completely different entity and very very different and really far more interesting because all that, and you said it a few times, all that. Moral grayness that goes on here and there um, is really, really interesting. Army uh, faction, really. That's why I like the High Elves in that um, they're extremely arrogant, and everything that people like, in in world setting don't like about them. You know, they're arrogant. They think they're great. They're, they're on ours. Um, they are, but they've got a reason for that. In that they've saved the world multiple times, um, and they'll do it again. Uh, and also within uh, within the High Elf kingdoms, there's, there's the kingdom of Calador. What the outside world thinks the High Elves are like, uh, arrogant arseholes. High Elves think that people from Calador are like that. So it's even internal. That's just why Calador is probably my favorite kingdom. But their units are fantastic. They're an extremely strong army. Um, I mean, I've, I've played them for since 2017 very strong at magic very good fighting um can't really they're not very tough i think that every elf is toughness three so again a, a big alpha strike army but you know, always strikes first three rolls uh, to hit uh, high ballistic skill high weapon skill very elite army very great like the, the phoenix guard are probably one of the best units in the game um, white lions. I, I, I never know which ones I prefer. 
all all of the units except like Tyrannoc chariots and things like that. But you know, swordmasters, white lions. Uh, they've got dragons. The lords can fly on dragons. They've got archmages. Um, high magic is one of the best laws in the game. They're really good. They're really fun to play. They've got really good law, and they're they're the best. They're my favorite army in any setting. So the the models are great. I think uh, their cavalry looks great. I think their chariots look great. Their infantry looks great. The model. I uh, also particularly like your Phoenix Guard. Your Phoenix Guard look really good. You've done a really good paint job with those. If I ever finish them. Yes, uh, but uh, you know those first two ranks are like absolutely. <laughs> um, yeah, <laughs> but um, I. On on the flip side, I do feel they're a little bit oppressive on the battlefield. Um, they're one of the newer codexes, army books rather, for um, 8th edition. They were one of the last ones made, and the power creep was very much in full swing at that point. So the only more uh, the most powerful book being the dark elf book, and the high elf book isn't a million miles away from that either. The army wide ASF probably my only really big complaint i feel their magic is very strong like the the high elf magic law is one of the best but you'd expect that from high elf so i'm not going to complain about that but um as an army i think they're very good the there's a lot of synergy in the, in the army they move quickly good leadership very high strength attacks that kind of thing limited numbers they can't take a punch um but that's not really an issue if there's nothing left to punch you back. Um, as um, high elves on the charge are absolutely devastating. That, really that's cool. The idea. That's it. If you if you're starting to take hits back, uh, something's gone really wrong. As they'll not stand up to it. But they've got a lot of uh, great like great eagles are one of the best units in the game. It's fifty points, and it can do. Uh, do everything blocking, drawing out um, fanatics, like we were saying before, uh, going after war machines. Just, everything's got such utility. It's great. Yeah, they have they have an answer to almost everything. Um, the Great Eagles being a very good good example of that. Um, one flying eagle can uh, can do so much uh, in, in a unit. They also have access to good shooting as well we don't you don't really see too much shooting in uh warhammer fantasy because ballistic skill-based shooting tends not to be very good but the, the the high elves do have do have access to good they've probably got the best shooting unit in the game arguably the uh, sisters of avalon because it's uh strength four magic flaming um uh, attacks at ballistic skill I think they're five. Five, yeah. and if you if you put a uh, handmaiden in, they become quick to fire. So that is a good unit. Yes, they're like again. That's that's quite a quite a unique kind of niche unit to have a powerful shooting. Uh, with regards to the best kind of shooting units, I still think um, Waywatchers from the Wood Elves. Um, yeah, Wood Elves, they, they're, they're yeah. shooting just insane. Yeah, uh, yeah. Waywatchers are crazy, but you know, that's a different army. We'll, uh, we'll leave them. But and then 
again with the with the lore found the high elves oh, there's so many stories there's so many books there's so many short stories they have so many characters who have had so many different dealings with different things um like you look at techless that guy shows up all over the place every big event in um modern old world history as techless has been there at some point or had some kind of hand in it so he's uh massive part of the old world um, as is his brother what's his brother called again Tyrion Tyrion there he is Tyrion's got a fantastic model as well I really like him on the, on the horse there he's a he's a he's also an extremely good fighter like all of their characters all their characters are extremely good at what they do I've never used Tyrion or Techless, but I've used um, Alariel the Ever Queen, and she's really good the um, uh, white lion horde with Alariel in it is uh, well. People can quite legitimately quit the game if you bring that. It's certainly one you'd have to agree in advance because they get her ward save five up against non-magical attacks, and every time she casts high magic, that improves by one. And then you give the the probably the most one of the most hated items in the game, the banner of the world dragon. Which gives them two up save against uh, all magical attacks, and it's very very hard to shift that that unit. Yeah, Banner of the World Dragon, uh, one of the again one of the more oppressive items. It, it it's not a case that I dislike it uh, as as an item. It's um it's the fact that it can be given just to a, a unit banner bearer. It's yes, like, it's only fifty points, so yes. you can take it on the um, which means you can't get rid of it out of the exactly. The unit. If you if you were to give it to like if it was like a battle standard bearer only, or alternatively just make it fifty five points or something like that, which means only a battle standard bearer can use it, then then you can do something about it. You can you can try and target it a bit, but um, but that you know between the banner of the world dragon and the always strike first, I think those are the two really big bits that I would have like a little bit about, but. Otherwise, I think I think they're a fun army. Like they're fun to face as well. Like I said I said they're a bit oppressive, but you know, um, you can't base all your games on whether you won or lost. It's all about enjoying the experience. And and high elves, I mean, the, what's what's more fantasy than high elves? Like when you think fantasy, you think elves, you think orcs, goblins, humans, and that's it right there. So I think I think elves are fantasy. They literally are fantasy, and I think they're fantastic. So I could gush about high elves all day. They're uh, they're 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 the best. Anyway, what is your number one? I think I can predict what this is. Okay. Well, I let you let me guess what your number one was. I let you have a guess of what my number one might be. Is it Night Lords? Is it the Eighth Legion Traitor Space Marines Night Lords? Oh, uh, the answer would be guess. yes. Yeah, yeah. So my well, number one pick is the Night Lords Legion of Chaos Space Marines. Um, I originally played them back when we were at um, Sixth Form. Do you remember that? I remember you, but because I think I had, um, had Thousand Sons at the time. I had some Thousand Sons, which were the horrible old uh, Marine body with pewter head. Which I just immediately put in the bin after about a week. But obviously, you had more success with the experimental legion. 
Um, well, I, I've still got them. My dad's still got them stuck in the house somewhere. Um, I, I've always liked the Night Lords. I think um, originally it was a case of, oh, they're the ones with the silly armor with the, the lightning kind of um, on it. I think that looks cool. But then you, you read a bit more about it, and they've got like a really interesting interesting lore. And uh, while their Primarch isn't everyone's favorite, um, Conrad Kurz, I think he's got a really interesting and tragic story behind him. Um, and he's one of the trader Primarchs who didn't fall to chaos, never did. Um, he's dead, so there's that. Um, on the tabletop, the Night Lords favor use of like jump pack infantry overwhelming firepower and just general sneakiness um and i really enjoy painting them as well i've got a quite large amount of them painted at this point so i really enjoy painting the uh deep blue and the gold against each other nice scheme to do so uh, i have a lot of night lords currently painted go so Big fan of the Eighth Legion. Um, really like their lore as well, um, particularly their their origins and how how it all came to be. I think Comrade Kurz is a very interesting character in that, as a as a when when all the Primarchs were scattered across the galaxy, his pod landed on a planet called Nostromo. Uh, Nostromo was like a, a mining world for adamantite or something like that, and his his pod pierced the crust of this adamantite and baby Conrad Kurz apparently had to crawl through lava to survive. So his his beginnings as a as a as a child uh, was very different to other Primarchs. Other Primarchs were uh, raised in families, they had people around them to support them, whereas Conrad did not. He had nothing. He landed on this planet called Nostromo, which had a near enough one hundred percent crime rate. It was just awful this place was terrible it was in perpetual night uh, crime was rife corruption was rife life in general was just terrible and so conrad had to look after himself he grew up but to begin with feeding on like whatever he could get his hands on which often ended up being rats and stuff like that which is kind of grim later on as he got older and physically far more powerful he began to uh, dole out some justice he essentially became batman in space um so he would um see any kind of crime and he would then punish it um uh, very severely he whereas batman in in the dc universe batman's got one rule that he doesn't kill conrad Kurz came up with this one rule which was that he always kills regardless of the crime so his sentence for any crime would be death and so he went around the planet of Nostromo and he was able to bring it to a point where it was like a normal planet and people would like follow the law. He took this 100% crime rate down to 0% because the whole populace lived in terror of this guy who they called the Night Haunter. So the Night Haunter might pop up anywhere and beat you to death um, for whatever you did. So it's even hilarious because thing is Conrad Coase was kind of insane as well he one of his gifts as a Primarch was that he had the gift of precognition which gave him like these insane visions and he would see things and they would come to pass and it would drive him crazy 
Um, so whenever he would kill someone, he would see their life ahead of them. Um, and and then he would obviously then end it. So it would drive him insane doing that. There's one example of him where he used to view suicide as a crime. So he would find someone who was attempting to kill themselves and stop them and save their life, only to then punish them by killing them. So he was insane in that kind of way. He sounds like the Ben Affleck version of Batman. Um, a bit more emo, but yeah, sure. You listen yeah. to Lincoln Park quite a lot. This. <laughs> so when the when the Emperor did uh, arrive to Nostromo uh, with his Primarch sons, I think it was Fulgrim, Ferris, and Vulcan was there as well. Um, he greeted um, Conrad, and Conrad immediately had a vision of his own death uh, at the hands of the Emperor when he met the Emperor. So um, he had a vision of Fulgrim as a giant snake-like beast. He had a vision of Ferris Manus getting his head chopped off, and he had a vision of Vulcan. Uh, or was it Dawn? I can't remember. One of them. I think it might have been Dawn, who was wandering forever, lost. So we um, had all these visions, and then immediately the Emperor said, "Look, we're going on a crusade. Get your shit and let's go." So he was given the. Uh, He's given the Eighth Legion of Space Marines, known as the Night Lords, and uh, he immediately instructed them to begin adorning their armor in skulls and other kind of iconography, which makes it scary. And the original recruits from the Night Lords came from Terra, so they were fairly normal kind of Space Marines. But as the Crusade went on, um, the replacements, like in normal practice, would then come from the Primarch's homeworld, which was Nostromo. But as soon as Conrad left Nostromo, it became this horrendous criminal uh, wasteland again. It was just back to where it was before immediately. So their recruits were essentially murderers, rapists, just absolute criminal scum, um, but then put in power armor and told to go fight for the Emperor. So as time went on, his legion became full of uh, the wrong sort of recruit you really want and the night lords um started to get the fewer suspicion on them that they were something wrong with them they would um use way too much force in what they were doing they would uh, wipe out whole planets for small transgressions and things like that so they uh they went on a bit of a, a spree and eventually joined horus during his uh, betrayal and were one of the four legions involved in the drop site massacre on Isvan 5. So, generally, bad set of dudes. I do love the Night Lords. Uh, like I said, I like the, their, uh, their paint scheme. I like the way they play on the tabletop as well. It's all about jump pack infantry, combat, um, striking from the shadows kind of thing. Um, also, the new Chaos Space Marines. I can't say they're new because they're only a year old now. Uh, the new models look fantastic. 40k new, not fantasy new. This is 40k new, so they are actually new. So they look great. I love, uh, I love the Marines, Eldrake, um, the Venom Crawler. That's a great model as well. Um, I've also got some of their older models as well. Uh, things like the Vindicator, Predator, Rhinos, Land Raiders, 
all these kind of things, I think they're all fantastic. So I really like the whole aesthetic of them. So I really enjoy um, painting them, assembling them, playing them. My track record as a, a Night Lords general isn't great, not going to lie. Um, I spend most of my time getting uh, annihilated by Harlequins at the moment. It's a bit disappointing. I think the uh, in general the the chaos um, legions are a lot more interesting than the the loyalists, with a few exceptions. Uh, but night lords are they're not affiliated to a god. Um, as I don't even think they particularly worship chaos in any way, do they? Uh, no, they they never truly felt chaos. They 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 view chaos as something as a as something to use. Don't really follow it. They also, at the moment, currently, the Night Lords Legion is, as you can imagine, uh, a legion compromised of nothing but criminals. Uh, isn't a particularly coherent fighting force. So they are splintered into war bands, not so much like a, a, a coherent fighting force. So, um, and that just gives you great kind of scope. You can like write your own little bit of lore about your own war band, who they are, and what they do, kind of. Oh, um, again, yeah, it gives you gives you that kind of scope to do your own thing and, and have fun with it. So I I really enjoy that part of it as well. Still still working on my law. I won't I won't uh, I won't reveal it just yet because it needs uh, it needs a bit of uh, tightening up. But I'll uh, I'll send you like a, a six thousand word document later. I'm sure. Yeah, hey, I'll review it in uh, in good time. Is this for a crusade in the future? Uh, yeah, so I do have a Crusade Force um, done, uh, painted, and assembled, everything, based and everything. It's great, but I'm already having second thoughts on my my picks for that. So fortunately, I've got time on my hands because that's yeah, all. I time for that. Yeah. yeah, there's lots of time because all we have at the moment, which is a shame. Uh, I recently fell to chaos with the Thousand Suns, so might be some intra traitor legion combat in the new year i mean that's the other thing about the uh traitor legions they spend as much time fighting each other as they do the imperium oh that's a, another thing wait how does this even work like who who supplies the traitor legions with new equipment uh, who gives them the new um like how do you get more um Night Lords. How, how do you produce more Night Lord Marines? Where are the, um, the where's the gene seed coming from? So um, when it comes to some like some gene seed is a lot more stable than others, and the Night Lord one is considered to be one of the more stable ones, despite the amount of time they've spent in the warp. Um, however, it's the Dark in, uh, Mechanicus, which is a thing. They are um, the ones. Um, Bit like in the Imperium, they they have like essentially dark forge worlds sat around in the in the Eye of Terror and things like that, where they churn out equipment and armor for the. Uh, and a lot of the Night Lords recruits um, currently they actually come from um, renegade chapters. So a chapter will leave the Imperium, and um, will then dissolve on their own. So some will do their own thing or whatever, and, and a lot of them. Or rather, the Night Lords will uh, happily 
recruit renegade marines into their ranks? Well, you've got to have a system. But I mean, if you were to look at if you were to look at it and work out how how many chaos marines there are and things like that, they they should have run out of chaos marines a long, long time ago. They just it's it's the only they can use the warp for any excuse. That, yeah, the warp did it. Yeah, they went back in time. There's more of them. Yeah, there. yeah. I mean, the warp is essentially magic, so you can just say yeah, yeah, yeah. It's our, it's our get out of jail free card. In, on the yeah, it's fine. It just doesn't have to. Doesn't have to make sense. No, no, no. I mean, 40k. You know, we don't do that here. No, no. But yeah, that's so the your Primarch's dead though, isn't he? Is um, quite a glorious end, really. Well, after after the um, the siege on Terra, which uh, everyone knows how that went, um, and Horus died, but the Emperor was then mortally wounded and ascended the Golden Throne. Um, everything just it was all for themselves. So the Night Lords um, retreated with everyone else. Uh, they took a few planets within the Eye of Terra, and on one of these planets, they built. And this is weird, but they did it anyway. Apparently, they stitched together a fortress made out of living beings. So they took the human centipede concept and made it enormous. And um, and Conrad Kurz was was in there, and um, and was an imperial assassin who was uh, dispatched to kill him. And despite the fact that the Night Lords spotted this assassin, uh, Conrad Kurds ordered them to not intervene and do anything with her. So the Calidus assassin arrived, he had his little uh, monologue with her, and then she killed him. Oh, well, it's a bit of an anticlimax. Massive anticlimax. Very disappointing um, and a tragic character. He, he never had any support from uh, his, his father, the Emperor. He never felt any real com, uh, compa- companionship or like brotherhood with the other Primarchs. He hated his own Legion. His Legion hated him as well. Um, he was just... Uh, Didn't he destroy the, the homeworld or something? Yeah, so it was um, as soon as the heresy started, he ordered his... He destroyed his own homeworld. He ordered his fleet to uh, destroy Nostromo. Um and it was when he destroyed Nostromo, the Emperor actually recalled him back to uh, Terra and was like, hang on, what the hell are you doing? Get back here, we need to talk about this. But that's when the uh, heresy broke out. And then instead, despite having committed this horrendous crime, he was then sent to Isvan V to back up the uh, the Loyalist Marines there. So there should have been alarm bells there when, uh, when, you're, getting, when you're getting reinforced by the Night Lords ha- with them having done that, but... I guess people weren't thinking straight during heresy. The, the emperor makes one or two tiny mistakes around the time of the heresy. So the, the emperor made many mistakes. I think I think the biggest mistake he made was he just did not tell any of the primarchs at the start. Whenever he met them, he didn't warn any of them about chaos. Um, that that seems certainly Magnus. He should have. Uh... Well, he could have avoided a massive issue if he t- just told Magnus what the plan was. Yeah, he... but I, I I find the whole story. I I really I really like the law behind forty k, um, and particularly the heresy. I think um, it's 
it's something unique to Games Workshop. Like they didn't nick that from anyone else. They actually wrote that in, which is really interesting. If you go to, uh, I think it's the original Titan Legions. Yeah. The, uh, it's all of the characters or most of them are still in there from like 1990 or 1980 something. And it, but it's it's General Horace. He's just a, a traitor general to the. It's before they'd worked out its primarchs and things like that. Oh, okay. Cool. So, but all the, the the characters are still there. It hasn't changed that much. So, it's just, I just I think it's uh, fascinating, and the and the books, um, the Horace Heresy books are amazing. Uh, yes, although I will admit I haven't read as many of them as I would like to. Some some of them are good, but um, Master of Mankind is probably my favourite. I know that's a not everybody agrees, but I think the depiction of the Emperor in that is uh, the closest to I think he, he would be anyway. Anyway, we're off topic now. Um, we are uh, off topic again. Yeah, uh, sorry, yes, I am off topic. So um, the state of them now are they're in the the warp, I assume. Um, they are well. They're fragmented. They are across the galaxy. Um, you can realistically justify them being in any theater of war anywhere um, at this point, especially with the the galaxy ripped in two. Um, they have easier access in and out of the warp than ever before. So um, I know, especially with the uh, the psychic awakening stuff, the the night lords were backing up um, Avedon's nonsense. And I believe they are also in, in assistance to uh, Fabius Bile as well. He had a, a group assisting him there. But they they don't have any kind of coherent fighting force or anything like that. In fact, the largest largest force of um, Night Lords about is a warband which is... Um, Headed up by a demon prince, so he's a he's a night lord who ascended demonhood, but he's very much in the minority. Most most night lords do not work with chaos, and they view um, other night lords who do as just a bit weird. Almost like the uh, the atheist chaos uh, legion. Oh, yeah, sort of. Um, I mean, some, obviously, some legions are. Uh, dedicated to one particular god like the Thousand Sons or the Death God for instance. Um, and then you've got others like the Word Bearers who worship it in its entirety. And then you have others like the Iron Warriors who are again, I think they're a little bit like the, the Night Lords in that they're not really big on the demons but they're very big on all freedom and not being part of the Imperium. Yeah, it's sort of like a there's no like you're saying before. There's no real coherency between the or there's no aligned objectives to the chaos legions, other than be a pain in the ass for the Imperium, unless they get their heads knocked together by a Black Crusade or something. Yeah, um, I was I was find a little bit disappointing in the, the sense that the uh, the only thing that seems to like get them going is one of Abaddon's Black Crusades, and he's had so many of them at this point. Twenty seventh Black Crusade. <laughs> like like them Rocky films that keep on coming yeah. but um, I think I think uh, I think in terms of um, tabletop power the Night Lords aren't the strongest and uh, particularly in 9th edition they're still waiting on new codex update because Chaos Space Marines are considered to be a 
not great. Outside of a few units, um, they're not particularly good. Standout units being things like obliterators and uh, yeah, for personal experience, they are unpleasant. Yes, down at night in one round of shooting and then do it again. Yes, uh, if you roll well, uh, always the way for the uh, the obliterators are very very good. Um, demon engines can be very good as well, uh, especially with the new rules, the ninth edition, with the moving uh, no heavy firing. Yeah, they don't get the minus one penalty anymore, do you? Yeah, they're ballistic skill four, so they're not great at shooting, but now they can move and shoot without a penalty. It's uh, it's, it's better. Um, and the Night Lords have got interesting stratagems. They've got like one stratagem which can switch off auras completely. Um, great. Uh, and some and a lot of their a lot of their stratagem work around leadership and things like that, and that ties into their legion trait, which negatively affects nearby enemy unit leadership, which is not really very good, but once you start tying that into this, the, uh, the stratagems, it becomes very good. So it's interesting. They, they, they require you to get up close and personal very quickly. So I like that. I like a good scrap in hand-to-hand myself. Well, there you go. There's 10 combined top armies that we have played. Um, just looking at my list here I slated the Tyranids and the Tomb Kings but I was really uh, pro the Admech Knights and High Elves so there's a balance uh, how did I do? oh yeah I slammed the Eldar and uh, was pretty nice to everyone else except calling Lizardmen boring yeah you said the law was boring but the, yeah. the models were good that, it just shows it, it takes all sorts is it? In, in your top 5 if you can point out the problems with it, but you still like them, I suppose that's that counts for something. Yeah. Well, thank you very much for being guest number one. Uh, if you've got any social media or anything you'd like to plug now, fire away. Um, I'm 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 going to spare you with that. Um, <laughs> I've, I've I've already got a legion of fans on my uh, on my OnlyFans account. So. Yes, yes. We'll we'll perhaps transfer across to OnlyFans later on if. Uh, if this picks up you, or not just be careful the burden of fame is, is, uh, is fair. Uh, I can well believe it <laughs> <laughs> well, on that note um, thank you very much John no I had a lot of fun I appreciate you uh, inviting me on um, I wish you luck with this I'm looking forward to hearing uh, some more opinions in the